0: Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks
1: Technology. Hello, good afternoon. How are we all? Welcome, Marlo. Welcome, the web. Yes, I'm here again. And today I'm really pleased to say I've got a good friend with me and an amazing person, Kate Burns. Hello, Kate. How are you? Oh,
2: thanks. Hi. <laughs> good, thank you.
1: Good. Kate is uh, someone we're going to find a lot more about. She's been at Yahoo Vista. Probably companies you may have heard of. Google, she was the first international hire outside of the US. I'm sure you've heard of Google. Um Daily Motion, AOL, BuzzFeed. So many good companies that you've been mm. in charge of or at least running their European operations. Thank you. Kate, so um mm. welcome, welcome, welcome to Marlowe.
2: Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's beautiful a beautiful part of the world, gorgeous day.
1: It is, and we've just been to Coopers, which I love. Did you enjoy the coffees?
2: I love the coffees, and I enjoyed the coffees uh, being roasted in front of me. Actually, with the (laughs) beans at least, so that was very fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, with Nescafe underneath—that's what we say. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, Okay, so Kate, uh, let's start. What do you do today?
2: Uh, I do a lot. Uh, so I I'm a, a what they call a venture partner um, at a, a growth fund uh, called Hambro Perks. They're based in London, we invest in um, early stage businesses, so businesses that are probably in the kind of uh, first, maybe second or third rounds, but pre what we call pre-series A. Um, so very very early stages. You know we've got the idea, we're building the product. We need we need money to get it off the ground. Um, So I've been working uh, with those guys for a couple of years now. and I love my job. Um, I get involved in every aspect of the business from fundraising to finding really good investments to then helping them run their portfolio. In other words, I work alongside the investments. I sit on the boards. Um, So that takes up most of my time. Um, as a venture partner, it means that I'm not full time with them, so it gives me the opportunity to work on other things. So I, I sit on the board of two other um, more established businesses. Um, uh, one called TCC Global, which is, a, believe it or not, a global business <laughs> <laughs> that do. Um... It's the Ron Seal test. Passed. <laughs> no, really. <So laughs> they um they 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 build retail promotions. Uh, so they've got. Uh, They've got big clients, uh, and they run their kind of promotions, their consumer promotions programs. Um, and I've just joined that board, board, and I also am head of REM for a business called Brave Bison. Uh, I've also got two kids and a husband, and three dogs and four horses. So I try and I try and keep busy on on the personal side of things. Do you actually stuff.
1: sleep? Do you have time? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> on the weekends, I sometimes think, why. As I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning, anyone that knows horses will understand that you have very little sleep uh, when you get involved. And when I also stupidly have got a daughter that rides, which means that, uh, that, yes,
1: not a lot of sleep is had. Yeah, I remember uh, a friend of mine, Lucy, we went to a ball together and at 12 at night, we caught a cab back, went to the stables. Yeah. She got out of her ball gown, into the job pose, Fed. into the field. I, I was still in my DJ, so I wasn't helping. <laughs> and then we and then she basically um, we slept. She got up at five the next yeah, morning, and no. we had to mock him out before we went back to work the next day. Yeah, I was like, yeah. no, yes. I never want a horse.
2: Yes, yeah, it's pretty much. Uh, it's like having a a, a newborn baby, twenty four seven. Yeah, but they're great fun. But they're great fun. Good sport.
1: Yeah, you can keep your horses. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> all yours. Um, okay, so um, apart from being a Ned. Mm. which stands for uh,
2: non-executive director exactly so i get Just, 10 points
1: 10 points for you because <laughs> i'd forgotten what it was stood for <laughs> if i'm honest um yeah so you're a ned uh and obviously a vc or growth fund yeah. um what's what's one of your favorite companies what are some of the companies that you have under funding I guess? under
2: hp's portfolio um so Oh, gosh, there's a business uh, that we've been involved in from really quite an early stage called What Three Words? Yeah, love them. They're oh, great. I just, you know, so so basically, like, OK, so here's the skinny. So What Three Words have mapped the world into three metre squares? And each three metre square is given a combination of three words. So it could be carpet, microphone, uh, laptop um so of course there are millions of different permutations of those three words um you know wh- why this is useful uh well, many things first of all t- your postcodes don't work um mapping the world on longitude and latitude is is just not practical' because no one can remember the digits um, yeah, it's like trying to do
1: web addresses via i p yeah you or i p
2: exactly so that's longitude and latitude is just is just like i p yeah IP is relatively... Uh, oh, come on. You would accurate. never remember. No. 192.0.0.1. Exactly,
1: exactly.
2: But it is accurate. And longitude and latitude is accurate. Postcodes are not accurate. So anyone that's got sat-nav, most of us now use our phones, will know that, I mean, really, it's kind of potluck whether your postcode will ever take you to the real destination. Yeah. And if you live in rural areas, then that you can be completely off. Um, if you live in urban areas... Your postcode will only give you, I think it's uh, kind of like a quarter of a mile radius. So if you live in a flat that's on the third floor, there is a there's a good chance that if you have a delivery, um, if you're trying to get a taxi to pick you up, that they're going to get it wrong.
1: Yeah. And I, I think also when drones come out, yeah. and drone deliveries, um, the... The, the, the example I was given by a <laughs> company.
2: Things falling through the air. Yeah. Catch. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Whatever.
1: Um, but no, you know, um, Somebody was saying deliveries to festivals would be something they'd love to do. yeah And you can literally have your oh, tent with what three words on can it. You can
2: imagine the kind of oh, all sorts of stuff that's going to be coming through the air in the festival. Yeah. We've run out of vodka.
1: <laughs> that's okay. It's the other stuff. I know <laughs> it's the other me.
2: stuff as well. I was trying to be <laughs> relatively PC. Uh but yeah, you can read between those two, those lines. Yes.
1: So um yeah so we've got we've got uh, what, what three, three words.
2: words what else um a business so what I love what three words because it's a, uh, it, it's solving really big problems so they've sold into actual countries so you know um countries that don't have addresses uh now have have addresses which has completely i think revolutionized the way people live and make their lives better so I, I obviously my, my google chip um I love those kind of businesses uh so another business that I that I feel very passionately about because I sit on their board um is called go to digital to it is a typical story Two young. I mean, really young kids. Like I'm old enough to be their mother. Young kids. Okay. Um, you don't so, look old enough to be their mother. Thank you. Bless you. I was trying for that that <laughs> that compliment. Uh, you stick that them compliment. Out yeah, all I know. I'm just dangling time. it. Dangling it. Um, so uh, these two kids are they're Cambridge graduates. Are so, so smart. Um, this is the kind of their not their. their first rodeo, but they're literally you know under the age of twenty five. Um, but we've been looking at how. New business is generated for medium-sized uh, companies, and it's it's hard. I mean, there is such an over reliance on paid paid social, paid search, and it's very very expensive. That our businesses tend to plough all of their marketing spend, and even even in some cases, their kind of sales spend, into generating online leads. But there's no uh, focus on the follow up or the follow through. So once I have a lead. They need to be called that day. They need to be qualified. They need to be responded to. Um, so quite often, uh, all of this marketing spend and digital online digital spend is wasted. Um, so what GoTo Digital done is build a leads platform. So uh, so, for example, let's just say dentists. So they're focusing on some really quite niche okay. verticals, like dentists. Yeah, long tail like dentists. Skip higher. Uh, hey, these so are
1: all businesses. They are
2: all businesses, but we're looking at businesses that have a uh, very high cost per lead, but then a high return per lead. You believe that Skip Hire is actually quite a high return business, but really not that advanced, shall we say, in, in digital advertising or paid search, as you would imagine. Yeah,
1: well... What- the guy driving it is not exactly probably not, not the one that 's going to be
2: managing their AdWords account, but they still people need skips, and people need leads yeah' and it 's
1: actually very competitive because when i 've had a skip at home, you go you google it and you find one of the companies oh, and you yeah. go, yeah because you don 't know one you skip company from the next.
2: no exactly and you, and, and, you know with all due respect, you 're not going to pick up a, a big yellow book and start looking under skips because people don 't do that anymore No. so what um so what go to what the guys at go to have done is build. A very solid platform um, that is focused on on verticals and delivering those verticals, or in other words, those businesses, small to medium-sized businesses, uh, really valuable leads and leads that we know are qualified. Um, so these are these are customer, potential customers. that are looking for their services. That that aren't you know aren't being responded to. So I'm really I'm really excited about that business. I'm a salesperson at heart, and I know that you know when it comes to especially for big businesses is one thing, but medium small to medium sized businesses they still they need to find customers and customers. You know they will still make money from and customers at scale, and I don't think there's uh, there's enough solutions, tech solutions out there that are delivering those kind of problems. So I'm I'm really excited about those guys as well. Plus, they're just such a pleasure to work with because they're still, you know, they're they're smart. But they don't know the answers. They're very receptive to getting direction and advice and support. Which is
1: which is what good entrepreneurs should be doing.
2: Uh, absolutely, you know? absolutely. They work hard. They're such a pleasure to work with, and they're really, really smart. You know, there are times where I think, "Gosh, you know, I am I'm, I'm I'm put to shame for all my years of experience, that I'm not as good as them." But that's why I go to work because it's working. As you know, Sam, yeah. it's lovely. We're going to work and. Being inspired by by really really clever people exactly, better, and, than you.
1: and there are I mean you know I look around and there are some super smart people that if you say I can't learn anything from anyone ever again then you probably might as well go home
0: yeah yeah That's... yeah
1: you're
2: fit for retirement yeah and I you know I, I work with um I work this is why I love I love, I love the the area I'm in at the moment because we see so many so many amazing ideas some not so great ideas some that are just ideas that don't really have any substance to them. But, you know, every, I would say probably it's a, low, it's, a, it's a low ratio, but maybe two out of 100 that we see blow us away. Uh, and I was going to say, I mean, how many, really how many
1: frogs do you have to kiss?
2: A lot. Yeah. So I think as a business, we saw around th- over 3,000 um, ideas, pitches and presentations last year, um, and we invested in about
1: 10. So, so for me as an ex-entrepreneur, who who would go and want money and mm. pitch? I mean, do you do you know within the first five seconds, ten seconds, you know that's going to be a great business, or or is it you know sometimes a slow burn? So, you know, is is it a case of the guy or girl stands up, they say something, you get it in a nanosecond, you know, everyone says you are the Uber of X, you are the yeah. Google of Y, you know, so you can frame it to the VC, and then the VC goes, oh, interesting business. Right. Really get this business. And, you know, and then, I don't know, the last half hour of their pitch is not. It's just easy. Yeah.
2: So um, if we had and and, we spoke about this earlier, Sam, you know, the the difficulty that we have in in this in the VC sector. And I think the problems that we the challenges that we have are actually sector wide is the the opportunities, the, the reactive opportunities that we see. In other words, the the ideas, the businesses that walk through the door are usually not the ones that we invest in, usually. Okay. The ones that we have heard of through the community and we need to actually proactively hunt them down, those are those those perfect kind of great idea, um, amazing founder. Baby unicorns. Like Baby you- unicorns, really good team. They tick all the boxes, but very rare. I mean, those ideas are so rare that, you know, VCs are sniffing them out all the time and usually if, if they're that good they will want to invest their whole round and get a big chunk of uh, yeah. you know of ownership back so this is you know this is the problem so what we have <clears throat> what we have with the vc sector is businesses are I would say business but i should say funds are investing in a in a large portfolio so it becomes it becomes rather depressing it becomes a numbers game so you kind of expect a the majority of your portfolio to fail although none of us would want them to fail but it is just how it is and you would hope that maybe the two five percent that succeed will pay for all the you know, yeah that's all that's, the failures which is just it's so it's so depressing and i wish it wasn't that way but but it it, it is
1: but, but a good friend of mine nick brisborne who's a vc very well. lovely lovely guy yeah,
2: forward partners
1: um yeah yeah uh, top Top VC. I mean, he's always said the same to me. You know, it's it's a Pareto rule, eighty twenty. Yeah. Maybe even worse, as you said. You know, yeah. ninety five five. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and the funds are under. What entrepreneurs forget is the the funds or the VCs are under as much pressure to find that returning uh, investment, mm. just as much as the entrepreneur is under pressure to return the fund, the value from you know making the business a success. So yeah. you know. I think entrepreneurs do sometimes forget, you know, they seem to, well, I remember when I, was, when I first naively was going for money, it was like, of course this idea is great. Why wouldn't you think my idea yeah. is brilliant? And yeah. come on, open the kimono and just, you know, give yeah. me all your money. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you forget the pressure that you as a VC mm. are under, which is if fund X or Y doesn't make it, yeah. the next time you go back to the pension funds and the pot, yeah. they are going to go... Not giving you the money, yeah. it's was a waste of time.
2: Well, no, exactly. And that's why, you know, at, at Hambro Perks, you know, we try, we try and do things differently. So I think the, our approach to invest, investing is quite different. We have, with, with me now as part of the due diligence process, uh, and also I've, I've bought on board a guy called Chewy, that is his name. Uh, who worked? Wonder what he was doing outside of Star <laughs> Chewy, Wars. Yeah, he was, He looks a little bit like Chewbacca. <laughs> but he was my he was my superstar engineer at Google. Uh, he, and he's got that left brain right brain thing going on. So he can string a sentence together. He's really good reader people, but he's also an, an amazing engineer and product person. Wow! So he can he fills that gap in, in terms of looking at deal flow and then approving through a due diligence process. He can rip the tech apart. He can sit with a CTO, you know, look them in the eyes and, and see, you know, whether they're actually, you know, they're authentic or not and whether they're good managers. So, you know, I think our approach to due diligence is, is so tough that the businesses that we know that have gone through all of their checks and balances, we feel pretty confident, Right, we you know it's not a case. Of, this it's rarely a punt, Sam. So, and not only once they're part of the portfolio, we spend, I spend, Chewy spends, the partners spend a lot of time um, with the businesses without interfering because there's a balance because yeah. they've got they've got to be able to you know got to be able to run it. But a lot of the problems that we see at Hambro Perks are pretty. I would say, you know, they're they're, they're they're pretty generic problems that startups have, um, that they need operations, they need better you know, financial support, reporting. Uh, at some point, they're going to need to spend money on marketing, but they don't know how and where and how to do that in a cost-effective way. They need to expand internationally. So all of the problems tend to be, I would say, you know, you know, relatively quite common. Right. But that's where with my real world... In inverted commerce experience of running companies the last 20 years uh i can walk in and provide some you know some really valuable support very very efficiently and i think that makes a real difference to the portfolio companies
1: yeah i'm on a bit of a jihad um <laughs> i i think um directors of companies shouldn't be allowed to start a company mm. until they've done a an exam in directorship
0: yeah
2: i agree you know i feel the same about politicians actually as well oh Sorry, <laughs> I mentioned the P I'm, word. Well, I, I was going to mention think, the B word politi- in a minute. I don't, so, oh, I don't, God I don't think us. politicians should be allowed to, to um, you know, to, to to run services until they've got experience in them. I mean, it just seems... Yeah, crazy. Chris
1: Grayling comes to mind. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, failing I Grayling. Know, I don't know
2: anything <clears throat> about trains. I wouldn't want to.
1: No, but I mean... Or why did, <laughs> No, he clearly doesn't either. Or, or terms and conditions, cut <laughs> no. and paste. Um, no, but, but seriously, I, I think... Um, too often, you know, you have that eureka moment of an idea. You go on to the the web, you find out the ninety nine pound form former limited company dot com. Yeah, and the next thing, you're a director of a company, but yeah. the the fiduciary duty that you have mm. is quite scary, I think. And no, exactly. you know, you know, I find um, the companies that fail tend to fall foul mm. of VAT returns or. Or they're, you know, returns to the company's house because they just don't think of that stuff. They're too busy thinking of their idea and how to make money and the business yeah. and the deals they're going to make or,
2: yeah.
1: or developing the platform. Yeah. But those t- crossing T's and dotting I's are equally as important. So,
2: absolutely. <clears throat> and I think, you know, also um, in my particular uh, field, which is digital media, it's been quite depressing for a few years. Um, you know, we've seen. A reliance on on Facebook and Google,
1: but they own eighty percent of the ad uh, market. Uh, now. Yeah,
2: and it is it's depressing because I I look at businesses that have that have built businesses off the back of Facebook and Google. So, you know, let's look at influencers. Um, so building building little agency networks around Instagram. Now, they might, be, they might be great businesses, but, you know, it's, there is an over-reliance on Facebook that's quite scary. We have, at Hamburg Perks, we've got a, a great business called Takumi, which have built um, in a kind of a, a, an agency model around micro-influencers. So micro-influencers are influencers that have a smaller amount of followers, but really highly engaged and very loyal. Luckily for Takumi, they've built some tech around their offering, which has differentiated them. But there is, still, there is still a nervousness around being so reliant on a provider like Facebook that at any one moment... Could completely quash a sector, oh. which they have done many, many times, or Google for that matter, or well, Amazon for that matter. Well,
1: Twitter, when it turned off the API, yeah. killed all their developer program. Absolutely. And Facebook, when they did it a few years back, did well, the exact SPMDs. Same. Yeah.
2: So I was, I was at Shift when they, when they killed uh, the SPMD, or yeah. you know, the Preferred Marketers Developer yeah. Program, and, and we all kind of knew, we all knew it was going to happen. To be fair,
1: but there is the saying: never build on anyone else's platform. Yeah. I mean, you you are always at their their mercy. Yeah, Yeah. you know, turn off the tap and and you're gone. Mm. So, okay, but it still
2: means that there's some. I mean, I still think that there is, there is still a business there. I mean, there's still definitely a need. um, But you know, I think what I would, what I do, and what I work with 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 our portfolio is ensure there is uh, that that risk is mitigated. That they look at other providers right or they look at other platforms so it's not just it's not just about Facebook Um, it can be about Snapchat it can be about Twitter it can be about YouTube and it can be about all the other you know, great sort of owned and operated sites out there that have got relatively good decent audiences. So it's kind of don't put all of your eggs in one basket, but at the same time, you know, let's let's make hay with the sun shining. Yeah,
1: I mean it is the big basket in town. I mean yeah. both of them, <laughs> you know not, yeah. if you're not on Google or Facebook you're pretty much not anywhere. No. Um, exactly. So before we get on to find out a little bit about young Kate and mm. and, and the journey to VC hood. Yeah, um right. uh I also just want to quickly touch on while we're talking about VCs. Um, oh, I really don't want to say the word Brexit, but I'm going to have to now. Oh, God.
2: Um,
1: you know, it's tick-tock, tick-tock. It's coming very fast. Mm. April the 1st. Ha-ha. What a day to do it on. Yeah. Um, uh Are you seeing any uh, slowdown issues, concerns as a VC? Are you thinking flow will f- slow? Mm. And are you thinking funding will go?
2: Um. Look, I I I think that there has been a nervousness for sure everyone has everyone has seen more more conservatism shall we say um, not around investing but around actually in raising so it's taken us longer to raise our funds for sure
1: but if you take you longer to raise funds it's then so going to take everyone else to start-ups. get investment. Yeah.
2: but look I'm I'm going to be quite philosophical about this so you know hold on <laughs> hold tight, All tight.
1: I'm um, ready. So,
2: I think you know, out of adverse a- adversary mm-hmm. actually comes good behavior. Okay, so where we may have seen easy money or uh, indiscriminate investing a few years ago, now it's tougher, and because it's tougher, I think we're making better decisions. And we've also been looking elsewhere um, for for fundraising, so we have. We've had quite a lot of success actually overseas outside of the UK and Europe whereas before we might just be you know focusing on European funds we've now gone to emerging markets we've had some success with Armenian, Omanian funds um, so it's meant that we'd have to, we've we've had to be a lot more adventurous and creative and scrappy um so I just look you know so so out of the unsurety and conservatism has come a slowdown but things I've had to pick up, otherwise, you know, our businesses wouldn't, wouldn't survive. Uh, so I think it's sorted the wheat f- from the chaff. Yeah. Uh, I don't think things are going to get any easier. But again, you know, it should sort... Again, I think it should. there should be a kind of a, an area of rationalisation, should we say. If people and businesses and funds and companies haven't got their shit together, they're going to find things really hard.
1: Yeah, and I, I wonder whether we've got... Um I don't want to say Y2K scare story. Mm-hmm. You know, is Brexit in the yeah. tech sector? I'm, I'm not talking about any other thing else because, <clears throat> you know, border controls don't really work across tech. You don't have that same problem. Yeah. Um But, you know, are we going to hit the 1st of April and everyone's going to look around and go, well, was, it's business as usual then right. still.
2: I Honestly, Sam, I think that that's going to be the case. Only in the
1: tech sector. I can understand import of well, food and other areas because I've got a wine importing business and I know for a fact but tariffs But you would
2: have had to have done your your homework. So all I'm, I'm saying the businesses that haven't prepared they're going to find it really hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know this is something that's been hasn't happened overnight. So look I'm I may I may be being a bit tough, but I would I would hope that the businesses that are that are going to survive have done the preparation, have known, have done some scenario planning and will know best case and worst case. Oh. You know, and I I also feel look, I I I was a remainer, but look it is what it is and we've gotta you know, just gotta get on with it. Mm. There is there is a I've got a little portion of me that's a bit excited about brexit and that is i wonder what i wonder what it will do i'm, I know. I'm
1: fascinated by that i know one.
2: but i wonder what it will do for manufacturing i wonder what it will do for our output i mean well you maybe could it make things a little bit better for us i mean who knows you would hope that we might get a little bit of a glimmer of hope as a result of
0: this well,
1: we might have to start manufacturing again we might have to but you know that's going to be a decade of growth between yeah. the thought of starting a manufacturing and actually succeeding. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, look, we we're not here to talk about Brexit.
2: You um, brought it up. I know. I know.
1: I wanted more from the VC side I was oh, interested. So <clears> yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's we've 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 had to we've had to adapt. Yeah. We've had to adapt and we've had to be we've had to be scrappy, we've had to be flexible and we've had to we've had to find money if from elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and also I mean you know, um I've got friends who are from Germany and from France and Israel who set up in the UK, and you know, some of them are going back to Germany, for mm. example. Mm. You know, you talked about Deal Flow finding you know good hot startups. Yeah. You know, maybe they're going to because one of the other challenges you have as a VC is you know, let's say you do invest, then you have to put someone on the board. Now, if the board happens to be in Berlin every we month, won't do it. Yeah. So no. you know, a lot of American VCs when I was. You know, in the business of being an entrepreneur, looking for money, yeah. would not invest or even look at the UK because yeah. they didn't want to fly an exec over all the time. No,
2: and that's the case with us, to be honest. Mm. I mean, our, our businesses, uh, most of them are are founded in the UK because that's where our that's where our hub of support is. Um, we're looking at the US next, but you know, we'll build a, we'll build a US team yeah. around that. Yeah, um, we looked. We've looked at businesses um that have been founded and are run out of europe and they may be great ideas but we, they're just tricky for us to provide the level of of support that we would do the, the ones that are that are homegrown and we also want to invest in in uk businesses right it's part of our uh, it's part of our strategy we want to foster um you know good british grassroots
1: talent yeah i love i love uk startups i just worry I mean, the frustration is that most of us who were entrepreneurs could never raise the same level of funding. Yeah. You know, the bet on Twitter, the bet on Facebook yeah. was so much bigger. Yeah. You know, why don't we have a Twitter, Facebook, Google in the UK? But
2: then saying that there are a couple, so Concur, which is a business, another Hambro Perks portfolio uh, company that I sit on the board of, we are, we're helping them. We're holding their hand in raising US money now. Because we recognize that this particular business is going to capture the imagination in Silicon Valley a lot easier a lot quicker than it would do here right so it's not is it would never be a barrier or a boundary now I think you know with a, there was a there was a right time um, there was a right time in the company's life cycle for them to uh, to become international and with this one particular business we recognize that that's the time so I don't think I just think how, think how uk businesses have grown or should we say have not grown is something that has had to be addressed
1: okay would you go east rather than west now i mean india china are you going to look into those markets no no (laughs) okay that was short and sweet
2: (laughs) only because i wouldn't because i don't uh i don't have enough i don't have enough local knowledge yeah yeah. i mean i've worked i've worked
1: you know i don't mean you personally but with your company just as you
2: I don't think so. I I think there's there is there is so much creative talent here. Um, then that we we would we wouldn't see the the necessity. I don't think I don't think the the pools run dry yet.
1: Okay. Look, before we get on to little Kate, we're going to go and play one of your tracks first. Now, which track would you like me to play? <gasps>
2: So I think we're going to have to start with um, Led Zeppelin's "Stairway to Heaven," okay. and I know it's a bit cheesy, and I know it's well, no, it's not cheesy, but it's not exactly uh, <laughs> it's not exactly a new tune. Yeah, uh, but it's uh, it's a tune that I could I could listen forever and ever, and I'm such a I'm a huge Led Zeppelin.
1: So when did you first come across this track? What age would you have been? I
2: would have been about nine. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, dad's
1: introduction to you?
2: Da- no, actually, I think it was a sister's boyfriend. Mm. So I've got a lot of sisters. Uh, dad, Dad, my dad was more in—he was more into—he was more into jazz and rock and roll. He would have seen these guys as a bunch of, sort of long-haired pansies. Who's one of
1: <laughs> which they are not. You See, dads are—we we, we, we do not just look at boys that way, or, you know. because I'm a dad now, <laughs> God help us. Okay, we're going to have uh, a bit of Led Zeppelin. Stay away to heaven. When we come back, we're going to talk kate about her time how did she get into google what was the market like and then what happened post google i guess and and we've got so much more to talk about because there's whole stuff going on in the marketplace i really want to pay the gender gap yeah you know privacy facebook we're going to cover it all but great in the meantime we're going to have a little bit of this wonderful track we're going to let you play all of it kate what well we'll see <laughs> There we go, Okay, A little bit of Zeppelin. How Can't was that for you?
2: Bored. Can't get bored of that. <laughs> we were having a bit of a boogie. <laughs> well, I was. I was. He was air drumming, to, air drumming, air
1: guitaring. <laughs> totally useless.
2: I know. I know. It's yeah. It's it's not exactly original, but I mean, what a masterpiece that is.
1: Oh no, it's wonderful. And you were telling me that that was uh, written where.
2: So, um, I found this out uh, actually as I was a teenager. So, this was already my like track of all time when I was at the ripe old age of nine. Nine. Um, but I found out from my sister, who ended up being working in uh, the music industry, that they wrote uh, Story to Heaven and actually quite a few of their other um, tracks from that album behind my parents' house. <laughs> in hedley so they wrote uh, many of their kind of works of art at a place called hedley grange in hampshire and my parents house was on hedley fields so wow. literally within a stone's throw so um yeah very very ironic i don't think i think i was probably about 3 when that <laughs> half track was made so maybe maybe didn't exactly coincide with uh with, with us living there but still it was um yeah it was a massive claim to fame no,
1: let's put it this way you're a lot nearer than I was
2: <laughs> I think also actually Headley Grange uh they also housed Fleetwood Mac and Genesis as well so you know wow. I, was, I was in good company at the time.
1: Well we had Stuart Eaps in uh the music producer the other week here. Oh. And you know he's produced Elton John yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he had some great stories as well to tell about all this time. It was
2: amazing. Yeah, I mean, amazing.
1: just around the corner from the studio here is where um, Oasis did *Wonderwall*.
2: Oh my gosh! Yeah,
1: the studio. It used to be Elton John's recording studio. Yeah,
2: oh, of course. And yeah, yeah.
1: it's just in, outside of Cookham. So cooking. I think
2: there was, um, I think there was a strategy to take these kind of rock and roll bands away from the, um, away from Temptations, should we say, in London. I think the case of Headley Grange was that it was just, I mean, it was a beautiful place, but it was, I mean, pretty remote. Yeah. It and was, didn't have any. What heat they in. did in
1: the film Bohemian Rhapsody with exactly. Queen. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So kind of like remove, remove them away from all of the drugs and drink, and hopefully it will let the creative juices flow, <clears> which I think worked.
1: Yeah, and well, clearly did with Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, clearly. Right, so we started touching on the three-year-old Kate. Let's find a little bit more about the young Kate. (laughs) I mean, obviously, we don't want to start from day dot. No, no, um,
2: no. We'll we'll do do a quick version. Yeah, so,
1: I mean, you were telling me it was Canada to Newcastle. Tell me how you took Coles back to Newcastle.
2: So, yeah, I'm I'm one of five, youngest of five. Um, There's like 10 years difference between me and my oldest sister, so... Um, so my mum was, you know, she she had a hands full, uh, five kids. So my mum was Geordie and my dad was Maltese. Um, they ended up going to Canada, I think, at a time uh, when the UK was quite depressed. Um, Canada was definitely, you know, encouraging young talent. My dad was an engineer. Uh, he he invented uh, packaging, actually. Okay. So, um, he was part of the uh, innovation team for bubble wrap. So my dad was responsible for for, for hours of popping fun. Hours of popping fun, yeah. <laughs> but um, so at, uh, I think at some point we did really well in Canada, but uh, my mum and dad, they missed their parents, you know, kind of get to an age where parents get old and ill. And so they, we we kind of, we packed our bags and moved, this, moved from this such an idyllic life of swimming pools and barbecues in Canada. And we were talking uh, before the interview about ice hockey and ice skating and skiing to a... Newcastle council, <laughs> council <laughs> house in Jesmond.
1: Don't tell me you live next door to Cheryl Cole. Pro-
2: probably, <laughs> um, yeah, probably. Ant but Dec, I'll take Cole. I'll take I'll take Led Zeppelin over that
1: actually.
2: <laughs> um, but no, we ended up all getting crammed in seven of us into a two up two down miners uh, council house in in Newcastle, which was just I mean the worst culture shock. It was very it was so dark and cold. It just seemed dark and cold all the time. Um, so that so my kind of um, my my first years in, in the UK weren't great, to be honest. and That's why I lost my... We all lost our accents really quickly. Uh, we were beaten up on a daily basis <laughs> as a family. And, you know, we went from um, kind of Rydale High... To the local comprehensive, you know, where we were just, just kicked the shit where out. Where
1: you're and, asked if you have a knuckle duster. If you don't, here's one you can have, yeah.
2: All the time. And so we kind of, yeah, went from, you know, we, then we had to start, we had to start watching things like Grange Hill and just on a, on a weird postage stamp, black and white television. So we kind of felt like we were just going back in time. So it was a very, very strange time, I think, for me and the family. But, but so we quickly lost our accents, moved um, from Newcastle down south. And then I think that's where kind of life life began. And we, you know, my dad was a was a, an engineer and an entrepreneur. I think if he was born uh, in 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 my generation, he definitely would have worked in tech. Right. Um, he but tech his, wasn't an option. But then. tech was an option then. You know, he was a, he was a design. He was an engineer and a designer before that. He was in the navy. So his whole thing was solving problems. His whole thing was. You know, looking at new ways of of doing things through engineering. So, um, you know, he was he was way before his time. You know, he would have been he would have been a real tech innovator uh, if he was born for sort of forty years earlier or later, should we say later? Definitely. So, so he like he he loved the fact that eventually I chose tech, but it wasn't it wasn't always that way. I wanted to be an actress, much to their absolute shock and horror. Um they did not encourage my acting career whatsoever. But you
1: see I as I now know <laughs> it led to fame and fortune It did <clears throat>
2: Um so it did If you
1: fancy googling the next section you can oh, Come on do Kate I have to tell you the yes, name Yes come on
2: Jesus. Well, at least it might improve the view rate on this. <laughs> so, so in my my years of uh, finding myself as a thespian, uh, I did some I did some theatre work. Theatre. I did some theatre work, and I got. Some, I got my I got my Equity card, and I did some rep repertoire. Um, but I also got a job uh, on Channel Four's. Oh, Come I can't on! Believe you're making me say this. Times have changed, and I was very young at the time. But it was Channel 4's tech show called Connected.
1: Oh, <laughs> Just so
2: googling it now. Ding, 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 but they ding. did, they did, uh, it was a pilot. So we only did, unfortunately, we only did two episodes, and then we were axed. Um, yes, uh, but before you were asked, <laughs> who
1: did you interview? We
2: intervie- I, Well, so we interviewed two young guys who had just got a cheque outside Kmart in Stanford by the name of Larry Page and Sergey Brin.
1: Now, there you go, Dad. I
2: know, I'm smiling. You the <laughs> smile on my face. So they, we'd done this, we, we were doing this piece, and it was the difference between uh, raising money or getting investment in the UK versus the US – I was interviewing a guy called Simon Murdoch. Yep.
1: Yeah. Episode one now. Who, who,
2: uh, who, well, it was actually episode one of Connected. So I, sorry. Oh, oh, I know. Yes. I know. Is, there, well, maybe yeah. that's where he got the name so from. So there we go. So Simon had just created, or something he just, just sold to Amazon when he was doing book pages. Yeah. Yep. So he was, he was saying how hard it was to get money. Um, you know, how he had to leap through so many like hoops of fire um, just to get a small amount of money. Whereas the Larry Page and Sergey Brin story was basically, they were just sitting on a park bench outside a grocery store. Some VC gets out of his car and just writes them a check for a million. Now, obviously, that million is now probably. You know I just hate to think how much it's worth. Yeah, probably eighty, maybe a hundred times X.
1: But at least whoever wrote that check didn't do what the guy who wrote the check for Apple did and sold his shares oh, no. for about sixteen thousand. Sixteen thousand. You know, he, he he had he wrote this. He had them. He had early shares big chunk
2: wasn't it six billion it would be worth now more than that even oh my god yeah but anyway is he happy i bet he's not so so when larry and sergey found it hard to recruit um for their first job outside of u.s somehow i sprang to mind and they tracked me down maybe through google (laughs) um they tracked me down and they were like what about what about that chick that interviewed us back in 1998 and so uh, yeah and the rest is history as they say something good came out of a really bad pilot exactly please don't judge me when you watch it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh I can't wait oh god it's, it,
2: it's awful we've got
1: we've got another there's hour like, of this but I'm going to be on the hour mark I'm so googling it
2: bad blue screens like really bad blue screens so please just just remember that a lot of it was we were trying to be quite quite kind of technically advanced but not really quite pulling it off
1: that's okay, a bit like this show then. Really. <laughs>
2: um I'm squirming now. We uh, can change the subject. Yes, okay.
1: So, um before the fame of Google turned up, um you were at Yahoo Yahoo. Um and obviously that was great. They were the hot hotties at the yeah, time. They were. I mean, how did you get into Yahoo?
2: So I was at The Sun. Um so <laughs> when I I you know so uh you know and and this was really just to pay um for my acting career. Right. Cause I was there was just I was really kind of pushing back on my on my dad's wishes for for me to be a barrister, and so I, I managed to, I responded to um, an ad in the Sun fully enough for um, for classified sales execs. Uh, I think my I was on I think it was thirteen and a half grand. That was a lot, that was a big sum of money back mm, then. Right. <laughs> Two and eight. You could buy a house with that. <laughs> I know. Back then, yeah. Um, so I. I was at the Sum, I started actually as a classified sales exec on Today. Do you remember the newspaper? Oh yeah, Today?
1: the famous one. Yeah, the, He it was colored paper. broke up um, all the printing presses. Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah. Um, so I was I was actually one of the one of the last employees on Today at the age of like I don't know twenty, and then um, but I I think this is I was a real school of hard knocks. I mean, we had to work we worked so hard. So we were, had to make four hundred calls a day telephone time we had we had um we had monitors above our heads <laughs> that that told management how many how many hours we'd been on the phone how many calls we'd make and if you know it was it was like sounds
3: real like a rabbit boiler room. Oh. oh
2: it was nasty boiler room stuff but i mean my god i mean i cut my teeth at probably you know one of the best and worst places so everything from that job was really easy okay um so anyway <laughs> i was at the sun and this amazing woman um, Josie Adams, I think then Josie Clark. So she, Josie Clark was the MD of, Z, of Ziff Davis. Okay, never um, came across her, sorry. My daughter's named after her. She was wow. such an influence. Josie, thank you. She met me and believed in me and kind of said, look, I'm building this this rebellious team, rebellion team in the corner of our offices to do something called selling online ads, this thing called the internet. Um,
1: never take off. It will never
2: take off. Do you want to give it a shot? And so I, I was like, okay, I think I know how to send an email. But I, you know, we were talking ninety four, ninety five, right? So it was really early days. Yeah. And Ziff Davis at the time represented um, Yahoo. So I sold against Yahoo, CompuServe, um, and AOL. Um, so this was this was back in the day where we had modems. Broadband, dial up, dial up, dial up, dial up. So I'd have to walk into into my potential agency clients with this huge suitcase which had a laptop in it, and then try and like unplug the telephone (laughs) to like, hopefully that the, the, the dial-up modem would work. And then I'd show them this thing called the internet and they would be like, oh, oh, my gosh, what is this? Um, and I would have to explain what, I, what I, like, a banner looked like. So 468 by 60 banner. So it was really early days, like so pioneering days. I was
1: Netscape's product manager for Europe. So
2: you know exactly all about And
1: I just remember leaving Microsoft to join Netscape and then calling up a browser window and saying to these corporate execs, "This is the future," and they just look at me as a dolphin flew yeah. across. You know, sort of, <laughs> no, no. no. And little did they know, cats was the future anyway. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly,
1: exactly. That was the future, cats. As we'll find out Skateboarding from cats. your days at Buzzfeed yeah. with, later on. Yeah. Um. So, okay. So you you you're at Yahoo. Well, you, are you at Yahoo now, or, or have you no? You're still so, in the sun. You're still in the sun. So
2: sun to Yahoo. So I left. I left the sun, and then and then you know at Yahoo I stayed there for. A, about a, about a year actually, and I got stupidly I got I got well not stupidly I got some I got some great share options, but I left before my year. You know, back then no one yeah you, you didn't know, know what share no options would do. Value. There. I was young, and I got poached by a, again another American business that was setting up internationally called DoubleClick, and you know gosh. Uh, and I just thought DoubleClick was just going to be—I mean—and I, it was in its day. I mean, it was just just so transformative because it was all about targeting. Well, technology. many people and, say
1: DoubleClick is what made Google.
2: It, well, it, it did. You know, and it was all about relevancy and about you know because the internet was pretty gung ho at the time, and there was a lot of smoke and mirrors. You know, Yahoo was a lot of smoke and mirrors really at the time. There wasn't a lot of innovation behind it. It was just a massive directory. Yeah, but DoubleClick. Um, made claims that were pretty accurate, actually, that they they, they targeted through an IP address, so he knew what time, what place. Um, who, who
1: ran DoubleClick?
2: So, it, well, it was founded by Kevin Ryan, um, uh, and he, I'm still very good friends with him, so Kevin also founded... Gilt and Business Insider and, okay. and DB. So he's a, he's a serial entrepreneur Wow, um, and, a, and an incredible uh, tech guy and also a business genius as well. Uh, but they were based in New York, so they, they really did break the rules. They weren't Silicon Valley based, so they called themselves Silicon Alley rather than Silicon Valley. But, nice. Uh, so I stayed at DoubleClick, and um, I was there, there for about three or four years. And At such an early age, I was running a big sales team because – I was one of the only people um, in Europe or in London that had years' experience and that had that tenure behind me, you know. So really, it—I would say—at a, at a, at an immature age, I had quite a lot of responsibility.
1: How um, old were you? Would you be then? I was Roughly
2: twenty-five. Okay, twenty-five, twenty-six, and running a team of people that were usually older than me, but because I'd been there for and I'd been in digital for three or four years, I was pretty much, you know, one of the one of the veterans um but because of my tenure I had a deep a vertical knowledge in what I was doing and my network was pretty strong not only uh in London but uh, across Europe and also in the states so I've always had really like 50% of my my job has been overseas so I've got quite a strong international footprint as well
1: so okay so you you're you're quite happy you're 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 leaving yahoo you've gone into double click yeah. um, Ad sales, the world then wasn't really, well, it was just becoming broadband-esque. It was yeah. still very slow. Web pages were pretty awful. Yeah, exactly.
4: Um,
1: from what I've read of the story of Google, mm. um, pre-purchase of DoubleClick, they really didn't have a monetization strategy. Um, well... Or well, did they? I, what I what was their monetization it. strategy before so, DoubleClick?
2: Gosh, you yeah. know. So, um, okay, so when I, when I joined Google... We, and this seems just so crazy to think back on it, but we had a rate card. So we actually had like a printed rate card and uh, we, you know, we sold in. There were, there, were, there were two major verticals for Google that just, uh, it was like a cash cow. So, we, and that was personal, I would say personal, personal finance and insurance, those two verticals were just enormous. And we could charge really what we wanted. And we would go, I mean, you remember the days of Microsoft and MSN, you know, our, our average rates would be really expensive. Yeah, Twenty five. Yeah. At Google, we went over 100 CPM. Wow. And this is when I just thought, this is, something is working here. So it must be working for the brands who just kept on buying it because they wouldn't spend that amount of money. No, because
1: they they're generating the lead that return the value.
2: Exactly. And we were sold out. So we would actually we would sell out just whole swathes of keywords within verticals. They would just say we would have Lloyds that would, that would just want everything in insurance or well, they would want everything in personal finance. So that's what we thought. We must be delivering them some serious return on investment now. So it was then that, a, that a, a Google employee called Salah created AdWords, and AdWords was just. I remember we were in Costa Nova, which was a, a was an offsite uh, on the one hundred and one near the Pacific Coast Highway, um, and there was Larry and Sergey. Eric Schmidt had just joined. There was about there was Tim, my mate Tim Armstrong. There was about ten of us in a room. Salar walked up and presented us the AdWords solution. And we were like, we might as well just go home now. Why? Because it was, a, well, first of all, it was an online self-service solution yeah. that d- democratised um, online advertising. So it was like, okay, what if we use the same principles of, of, of PageRank? So we use, instead of Which using... I, by the way, current... I love
1: the fact it's called After Larry Page. Most people don't realise it's After <laughs> Larry Page.
2: Yeah. So it's like, PageRank... uses the democratization of the linkage system, right? As a a kind of a voting system for what's quality and what is it. And with AdWords, they decided to use the same principle. They're like, what if we use our Google users as, we treat Google users as a way of voting for the best ads. So the more a user, the more an ad was responded to, the higher up it would go up in the ranking system. Um, In other words, what it what it discouraged was just the big brands with big bucks that didn't really have, should we say, the care and attention around quality. And it encouraged the long tail and the mid tail to compete against the big brands if their advertising was relevant and therefore a service to the Google user. Right. So, and at that stage, I remember looking at Tim going, they don't need us to sell this. We're, this is going to sell itself. Yeah. So when I, then it was that stage, which was still pretty early on at Google. I think we're talking about 2003, 2004.
1: But hang on, before we get to that, yeah. have you joined Google at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. before we get into that, how did yeah. you leave, you, you came all, through the acquisition? So
2: no, so I was at I was at DoubleClick, DoubleClick AltaVista, because AltaVista was DoubleClick's like big, like network site. And, and Alta Vista decided to go go it alone they didn't need um they didn't need to have double click anymore so they became independent they asked me to step over so i did and so for
1: those of you who don't know Alta Vista was the original the search well, was it the no, it was a one of the original it defaults. Was, yeah. yeah,
2: it was emphatic and double. But and, it
1: was awful. And, and altavistic. It, it, <laughs> it was awful. In fact, <laughs> strange, we found out we worked together no, tangentially. No. I worked for the partner at the the funding group above it called CMGI. CMGI. Yeah.
2: So, but that was that was our search life, right? So, I mean, I was the I was the awful person responsible for kind of. Uh, spoiling the user experience by selling these awful ads. You know, (laughs) you would have, like, blinking interstitials and, like, full-page takeovers. Oh, God, yeah, I remember those. Like, the DHTML, like you said, like the unicorn going over the screen. Or, you know, we didn't have any care or attention on user experience. you
1: just didn't know what good user experience was.
2: we were just, like, just... Let's just rape and pillage the the entire every <laughs> single page um, for 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 money for yeah. advertising, and then when I got the call from Larry and Seg, and they said, "Would you come over and, and just meet us?" Um, and they were, you know, it, it really was. All, all the stories are true. So they greeted me in full street hockey gear, full street <laughs> hockey gear. So we're talking with with Cage, with Mike Marty right. Cage, uh, padding. Um, what were they?
1: Th- what, what, were they was, scared of you or something?
2: No, they just played street hockey in oh, the right. car park all the time. Blimey. You know, so it was. <laughs> I, and and I was maybe one of two business people. All the rest were these very weird, uncomfortable-looking engineers. You know, with like chinos pulled up to their up to their chests, and just you know, very kind of like shifty-looking tech guys. Um, and I rocked up with, uh, and I used to be quite rock and roll. So I rocked up with this kind of peroxide blonde hair, tongue piercing, bright pink um, suit, miniskirt, wow. miniskirt and heels. Okay, and I'm I, googling I, they, that. I, I know well. they <laughs> thought I was some kind of freak. I thought they were so, they were freaks. So it was like, well, you know, but um, Larry and Sergey liked the fact that I. Perhaps was not conventional. You weren't suited. I wasn't suited, and they they loved that. And we had a we we they interviewed me for two days, more or less. I don't think I had fifteen meetings in two days.
1: And and is it true? I mean, I've heard rumours. I've never worked for Google. You know, the the entrance exam to get into Google is legendary. Yeah. I mean, is it? Is it? Is it?
2: So it really is. So Larry's Larry's question to me. There were many which were quite deep and philosophical, but there was one that he said, okay, how... No, he said, what's the ping-pong ball population of the world?
1: Well, if I had Google, I'd look (laughs) it up. (laughs) I
2: know. And he liked my answer. So he said off the back of that that I got the job.
1: And what was your answer?
2: Uh, I think I said 1.7 billion. Right. And it wasn't that it was right. It was just I kind of thought about the population of China. It was just big. And I just thought Chinese like ping pong. <laughs> and maybe every Chinese person at some point in their life has played ping pong. And maybe there are lost ping pong balls. So if we just... So I kind of took... I took a big number. And, and then multiplied kind of, by a bigger... And then he was like, okay, most people would just would just pass out or sweat at the, trying to work it out. But, you know... Even though I was quite a simple commercial girl, I kind of tackled the answer and they liked it. They also asked me whether I would ever place an ad on the homepage of Google. And I very passionately responded that despite my background in sales, I would never put an ad on the homepage of Google. See,
1: that's interesting because that that was like the Holy Grail, wasn't it? And Marissa Mayer... um, did you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. We worked alongside each other for many years.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously after. but yes. she, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe she was in charge of that homepage. She
2: was product, yeah, absolutely. And we felt very, very proud that we were building a change of behaviour. So going back to like, we, we we touched on this before the interview, like whether Google had, had ever shot itself in the foot by talking about doing no evil. But back in the early days, it really was pretty much the heartbeat, the culture, which was we're making the world a better place by providing accessible and correct information. And our monetization strategies or the ads driving that money uh, had to compete with the purity of the search results. And so Sergey would say, look, the ad experience has been so terrible online for so many years. We have trained the digital population not to look at ads we've trained them that ads are actually bad and what google wanted to do was was build trust that actually the ads that you see on google had gone through this filtering process and that the the google users were voting for the best ads so hopefully the ones that you saw had already gone through this whole kind of you know, process. Filtering. Filtering, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So his idea was that we can train people that advertising is good. So as as salespeople, we also felt that, you know, we were standing behind something that was actually when you when you're selling a good product as a salesperson, everything is Yeah, it easy. becomes a lot
1: easier. Yeah, yeah. So
2: much easier. I mean I would wake up in the morning and we'd done our we would have done our annual target. And I, we would be like...
1: Well, I went back to bed at 8.30. Yeah,
2: and I'd be like, what happened? Is there a bug? And I'd have to wait for the States to wake up. And, and you know, there would be panic. And I'd had advertisers calling me up saying, well, you've spent my, my annual budget in a day. And, and you know, we would be absolutely in panic. And I, I would speak to Mountain View and I would say, oh, we, we did an engineering tweak. And we turned the quality dial up. And you imagine this big, enormous like volume dial and this engineer kind of like like turning it up like a trolley in the chocolate factory but it made you realize actually this business is is on fire and just by tweaking algorithm they could deliver hundreds of millions of dollars of value not only to the to to google but its partners as well so it was just crazy
1: yeah i i mean okay so this world that you're living in—it's it, it, the cash cow. Google can't do wrong. The world's growing. I read recently you wrote you wrote something about you were hired into Google, but you were hiring people who were male, yeah, who were on a bigger salary than you, older than you. I mean, how was that? I mean, I can't, I can't really imagine, you know, how you do that. I mean, yeah. you know, a, I mean, you've built the credibility. You've just talked about the whole path to mm. where you got to. So. Congratulations! But you must have got. We, I remember in Microsoft in the early days, we ended up getting these older IBMers turning up, yeah. and you know they're looking at us kids basically going, "Right, the grown ups have turned exactly. up. Let's tell you how to do it." And we're going, "No, we built this without yeah. you."
2: Yeah, that was honestly sound That was exactly it. There was a there was a a pre IPO family and a post IPO family. Yes. And the pre-IPO family were a bunch of people that that believed in Larry and Sergey, and felt passionately that we were building a business with a, um, you know, that that had, as I as I said, that had a, a real positive culture and a belief that we were we were doing the best for mankind. You know, kind of really like a lofty approach, but still, you know, it's something that that brought us all together, and we had we felt a very. Uh, deep entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit within all of us. We ran that business like it was our own, so with so much care and attention. But then because Google was... You know, it, it was such a cash cow. I mean, the margins were just insane. But um, was
1: there any competition? You were the only game there's, in
2: there's town. No, there still isn't any competition.
1: No, well, search. Facebook is the only competition.
2: in search. I mean, so Google, they've managed... Mm. There's a, there is still a difference between the two businesses. The Google... I uh, uh, still i think within search I think is still like the dominating force
1: yeah, yeah. i mean it 's now i mean we we 've been saying it all all day you know you don 't say search you say google, google. yeah, yeah it 's the hoover it 's become a verb, yeah,
2: and that was again that was that was that was an intention um but with the i p o and i think with the creation of so much wealth, as you said the 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 change of hires meant that the culture really changed. And if not, I think it changed overnight. So there were some senior hires that were made, um, as you said, that, are, that were senior, not only in tenure, but in in age and approach, and a very un, un-googly outlook. Um, you know, it was it was, let's make as much money as we possibly can, not only for ourselves, you know, but obviously to shareholders too. Um, and you definitely felt that the party was over. Yeah, definitely I, felt the party
1: was over. Yeah, I remember it in Microsoft. I mean, I left. I mean, I, <laughs> let me say, I left before I was pushed. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I, I'm too much of a maverick, yeah. and um, within the straitjacket of what was becoming a very much a corporate environment, mm. I'm just not a very good employee. I know that. Um,
2: no, and I, you know, and I, I the, the same. I, but I, gosh. Uh, yeah, so hang got- on a minute. You were top of the
1: tree. I was nowhere <laughs> near the top it. of the tree. All right, let me just put it this way. You know, if you if you were my boss, if you knew my name, you were doing well.
2: <laughs> stop it, stop it. um I look, I was right place at right time. Yeah, I mean, well really, done. Really, really, I really was, and I you know I was very lucky that I, I I managed to be associated with a with a business with a brand that no one knew about. So. especially in our world, in, in London, across Europe, because I was that first employee, People would say, Oh, Google K. No, yeah. that's the girl from Google. Because I was just walking <laughs> I was walking from one agency to another, like a like a sort of second car salesman <laughs> class salesman. Fancy bit, bit Google, fancy bit Google. I've got some ad words for you, love.
1: <laughs> um, Here's a few cheap <laughs>
2: <Yeah>, Exactly. <laughs> Here are the keywords that no one wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um but I, I also started a family in my uh kind of later years at google so i had two small children in succession um pl- you know whilst running a, a huge team and an operation and if and uh look i wasn't supported because i was the first senior management member to have kids right so there wasn't a maternity program in place so when I had Josie, it was statutory maternity. I went back, I went back to work after eight weeks. Which is not Oh my good. god. No, no, it's not good. It's not good. But it was my choice. But it was out of just a little bit of paranoia and fear that if I didn't get back to work, someone would take my job. But also, I was like, well, it was almost motherhood was going to get in the way of my career. And then I got I then I got pregnant again, and then I was like, okay, hang on a minute. That first What did f- you go? How did that happen? No, I was like, whoa, oh, damn. <laughs>
1: Shit,
2: we need to get on with this one again. I call this daughter <laughs> Pinot <peen> Noir
1: <and> <laughs> yeah, or Shabley. Yeah, exactly.
2: You <laughs> That's me, your fault. You know me so well. Diamond White. <laughs> 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 so um so it then it, it was just like there is, there is absolutely no way I'm gonna be able to to bring up two small kids and have this and have this other massive baby which is google without the wheels falling off. And unfortunately with Josie the wheels fell off my my experience of being a, a mother. My career was fine but then I it was at the mercy of probably my my sanity and also just time spent recovering after you know being pregnant and having quite a traumatic birth. So uh, you know it was then where I thought a bit like you know to your earlier point if I if I don't leave then I'm not going to do a good job. So I knew something I had to give. And um, I had many discussions with Larry and Sergey and my boss Omead, and they didn't want me to go. I didn't want to leave. I couldn't see any... Um, I couldn't see any way of slowing, slowing down the job that I was doing. They were like, well, why don't you do this job? But that re- would have meant a demotion. I yeah, like, yeah. You know, I'm, not going, I'm not going backwards in my career. Let's just take some time off. So there was a decision that I, you know, the door was always held open. I never wanted to leave on bad terms. I'd always done an exceptional job for them and the team. I wanted to leave, you know, on a, on a really good note, which I did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got a very similar experience. Obviously, I was never pregnant, clearly. Um, LAUGHTER so not that. No, no my that's wife.
2: That's a sight I wouldn't want to see. No.
1: <laughs> Look, if science makes men pregnant, it's just <laughs> no, yeah, end yeah, of mankind. No, no, end no. of mankind. But I just had visions of Arnie Schwartz and pregnant, if you remember just the film. so disturbing. Um but no obviously you know my wife Jillian, yeah. who ran MSN and obviously we have two girls and Jill went through a very similar experience. She did, so I lived but... a similar mm. um experience of her being in charge of MSN in the UK and then Getting pregnant and then obviously people stepping into the job and then yeah. she was <clears throat> she she was given and I can't name names obviously and I wouldn't want to but somebody gave her a, you, you clearly are not uh, committed enough if you don't come back soon enough type oh, conversation.
2: It's a very um, back then. I, I don't think it is anymore, but it was a very kind of American culture. Uh, it was cutthroat. It was really vicious. <laughs> And there, you know, there isn't. Times have changed so much, and I've I've written and spoken about this quite a lot. You know, the gender, the gender pay gap, um, the way that women were treated was pretty much. I don't think because there was an example, if that makes sense to lead to. Times have changed now, and I'm I'm pleased to say, you know, my experience of Google was how it how it was back then because there wasn't any context there wasn't I didn't have a woman apart from Cheryl to really compare to so we were just I suppose for us the norm was the norm even though it was bad now now there has been I think there's been more exposure there's been more visibility there's more clarity for women that are working up through the ranks and we have some examples to to you know, kind of lend on. Yeah, because, I mean, lend,
1: there's yeah. famous stories about Marissa. Yeah. I, I don't know if they're true. And, I, and you know, um, but allegedly in her book, she said she used to sleep under the desk at work. Well, that was, yeah. Is well, that so true? Did I.
2: Yeah, so did I. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> really? honestly. Why? So there would be, oh, gosh. I mean, well, especially for us. You know, we, Again, you know this, Gillian knows this from, from being at Microsoft. I would have conference calls at two or three o'clock in the morning.
4: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And without any sympathy, you know. And it was kind of like, there would been many times I go, guys, I can't do this. And if you, if you didn't do it, you weren't on the call. Right. They never changed it. And if you weren't on the call...
1: Yeah, international was a secondary anyway. If
2: you weren't on the call, your voice isn't heard. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes you just had to, you you just, but back then we, you know, I, I didn't have a young family and I wasn't married, so I could do it, but it was only when, when my personal circumstances changed and I was like, this is not feasible. Yeah, yeah. It's not a way to live. You know, I was given, I was given I was given jobs of going like going to Beijing when I was eight months pregnant, and you know, you know at the time you're like, "Oh yeah, I'll go," because if you don't go, someone else will go, and if someone else goes, then you're you're basically just opening your seat up to someone else. I mean, it's just well, it's not a great. It's Jill, not
1: a great Jill didn't way of... go in the sense I'm not saying she went had to go anywhere, but she ended up having to take Microsoft to court. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. just for because of discrimination. Yeah. And, it's and awful. that's a
2: very brave thing to do. And I, you know, I, I God, I respect Jill so much for doing that. And I, I wish I'd done that. But again, going back to my, what I said before, I I always felt that Google, I would maybe go back to Google, which was absolute bullshit. Of course I wasn't going to go back to it. Yeah. But I, I was almost, you know, I was, I was frightened of blowing the whistle. And, and pissing off my previous employer. Yeah, but
1: strangely, I remember being in Microsoft in the early days, and I, I can only liken it very tangentially, but I felt it was the family. Yeah. You know, me and my mates would be there till midnight coding. The firm, right? yeah. You know, we'd be sitting there the latest thing came out yeah. from the US we'd be coding it because I was a systems engineer and you'd be going yeah this is great we're yeah. going to do this stuff yeah. and you know we didn't care We, were, as you said young single yeah. you know you know, life was all about this and so uh, you can uh, the nearest I can give you another example to that is it, it, the myopic nature that you would have got into mm-hmm. when I was in the army we used to call it army barmy <laughs> And, yeah. um, you know, you, you would you would get into this world that became very myopic. And all I ever used to talk about was guns and webbing and yeah, kit. And, it's your life. You know, and reading Jane, which is the military magazine. And you just thought, this is all the world is.
0: It's quite sad. And you
1: get into the tech world. And it's I can imagine, you know, there's this rocket company going through, you know, the roof. Yeah.
2: Um, we, were, we were a family. Yeah. And we spent, you know, every day, every... Uh, most weekends actually pretty But much then again
1: campus nature of companies Microsoft Google AOL all the others were designed to keep you on campus because they provide food everything, everything gyms yeah. the whole thing it was yeah. you know why would you need to leave there's nothing no. to leave for
2: well and also i mean in my I, I was given i was given unfair credit in hiring a diverse and you have to say like inverted commas diverse team uh, and, you know, I was often used as an example to the US because I had not only such a close team, I had zero attrition in the seven years that I had no one left. Brilliant. Um, but Share it, options know, work. <laughs> share <laughs> options. I'd like to say it was my leadership. Okay, sorry, so.
1: I, I didn't it say was that aloud, just really. In fact, I,
2: I was like? such an amazing boss. <laughs> but um, but they, they would say, oh, you know, but you hire from. You know, such diverse ethnic backgrounds, and you have you know such a cross representation of religion and creed and color. And I was like, no, I just hire people.
1: The best that, people. Yeah,
2: but you know, I but I did have the most, most ethnically diverse, gender balanced team in the company. So it's across seventeen countries, London represented. I was like, but London is just London. You know, we didn't look at hard-coding. Well, London hard is the best coding. cultural mix yeah, in the world. we didn't hard-code African-American salespeople or, you know, sort of gender diverse. Uh, it was just, look, we just hired really good people. And I, I felt it a big, I felt it a mission that I didn't want to hire just from Oxford and Cambridge. Like, the US had just hired from Stanford. I was like, so we're just going to end up with this awful bunch of just quite boring, very similar people. So I broke the rules in many, many cases, and I, you know, potentially I would have lost my job if those people hadn't have worked out. But I hired people that didn't have degrees. Which okay. Was unheard of.
1: Well, again, the famous story, you know, getting into Google was harder than rocking horse shit, yeah. really.
2: Yeah, but I, I. I had I completely disagreed with that with that philosophy. I understood that Larry and Sergei were paranoid about getting the best people, but that's not the case in the UK. You know, and I, you know I kind of felt that I wanted to hire people that were just really good people and that were passionate and that could of course they could string a sentence together and they were articulate and they were going to work hard, but that wasn't always necessarily reflected in really good grades. So, I used to hire, I had this deal with the executive team in Google that if any of my hires didn't work out, then they could sack
3: me.
1: So I was like,
2: let me make this decision. Let me me make this decision on these people because I would make the decision, go back to uh, what we were talking about earlier based on could I go to the pub with them, okay? Could I be stranded in a hotel or or in an airport with this person for two days and not want to kill them?
1: Right. (laughs) <laughs> you
2: know? desert island we'd all been there though right we'd all been there with this awful like should we say like, i don't know german engineer that you just just think oh please don't come with me to the cafe <laughs> while i while my plane's delayed for five hours because this is just i'd rather kill myself but you know we'd all we, we'd all knew that we would we just loved spending time together and going to work was actually more of a joy
1: yeah it was yeah. You know i mean I mean, I have to say my time in Microsoft was great. Um, my time in Netscape was great. And, you know, it, it, but I think it was also the time we were yeah. um, in the internet. It was The internet... You
2: felt like there were a movement.
1: Yeah, and it was just this totally new thing. It was all exciting. Mm. We were breaking barriers. Yeah. And there was no, no rules. Yeah. Now... I, when I look around now, it, it looks a little bit more it's straight-jacket. It's more corporate. Well, corporate well we're sure. going to come back and talk about uh, Elizabeth Warren wanting to break up all the big techs, yeah. uh, Europe wanting to regulate and put sales tax on everything and I think it's it's the wheel of legislation that's finally caught up with the speedier wheel of tech. Exactly. Um, and I'm not sure that it's for the better, but we'll talk about that okay. going forward. Um, okay, so Google's going great guns. Yeah. Um, it's rocketing. Um, but, you know, as you said, you know, first international hire, but time has come. You, you, yeah. you decide it's time to leave. Yeah. Um, you were saying you did a few things in between. I did, yeah. Um, but next up on the mic was Daily Motion.
2: ha <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know.
1: You say that with such love.
2: Laugh <laughs> I, I thought that we could take on YouTube. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this little French company. Um, yes. So that was interesting. So we, I was familiar with Daily Motion because I just before I left Google, I was on their M um, uh, the the European M and A team. They were helping helping them find a. YouTube ish acquisition, so we pitched Daily Motion up against YouTube, which is such a shame because if they'd bought Daily Motion, they would have saved about nine hundred million. No, really. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and it probably got a better better service uh, back in in the time, but Daily Motion was very. I mean, gosh, it was so French, so French, and very uh, staunchly now, anti I, anti anti anything else.
1: But correct me if I'm wrong. I think I read a story about you, which was that when you joined Daily Motion, it, was it Daily Motion that had lots of pornography on it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, why would I remember that? How
2: would that? you know
4: that? Yeah,
1: oh, my daily oh, search habits yeah. have changed because since. I read
2: an article. I read oh, an article whatever. once, yes. Honestly,
1: darling, I don't know how that page <laughs> <No>. came here.
2: <laughs> exactly, delete browser history.
1: I'm just doing research. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Um, yes, there was, but then, do you know what? There was a lot of pornography everywhere. For there God still me. is. There still is, you know, I'm...
1: Until Did the April the 1st, that is.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And no, no, that's, oh, the, are they going to rip it all out?
4: What are we
1: going to well, do? Well, no, they've got the new um, uh, age verification coming oh, out. Yes. So if you're 16 and yes. like pornography, tough luck. <laughs> Back to hopefulness. Is that going to work? Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on how, how strong the legislation is and, and how heavy the well, fine is. how it's is.
2: going to be policed, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it I all suppose. comes down
1: to the fine, you know. Yeah. If it if it's like the age 13 Facebook age verification oh, check, sake. then it's really? never going to work, is really? it? Are
2: you over 18?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the that standard answer. Yeah. Standard <laughs> answer is, I'm horny, I'm 16. Yeah, no, exactly. What's the answer? So <laughs> I'm so cynical. I'm so cynical. But yeah, supposedly April the 1st, they're yeah, bringing well, this we'll in. we'll see. Yeah. Well,
2: maybe we should have another chance out after that.
1: <laughs> so, Daily <laughs> so, Motion. Daily
2: Motion. So that was... Which
1: ov- obviously sounds awful as a name, because, you know, had, it's like going had, to the loo in the morning. Was
2: like, my dad would say, like, what, what, <laughs> what is, what? Is this some kind of toilet? Yes. Um, so that was interesting. I think it was, a. should we say, a bit of a, um, it, it was kind of a, like a moment of, of reality for me, where I was like, I am not... I am not indestructible. There are th- there are some choices that I'm going to make in my career that perhaps are not going to be the easiest. So Daily Motion despite, you know, all of my hopes and dreams that we were going to take on YouTube, what well, it, it w- there was just no way. But I think the service was actually pretty superior in terms of the video experience, the player was a lot better. But they just found They found internationalization really hard. Yeah, the
1: French don't do internationalization. They don't. (laughs) don't. Unless you talk French, they don't do it. They
2: were not interested in it either. No. So I was, so I was working my butt off there, but I think for me that was a transition in my career from being very transactional, very focused on keywords and search and ROI to now appreciating actually perhaps content's going to be. The way forward for us—Google own keywords, Google own search. There's never going to be, or perhaps at some point there will be. Well, I think incumbent. there is, and
1: we'll come back to that because okay. I think there is a a Google killer.
2: I'd love to hear that.
1: Oh, oh, we will, we will talk about <laughs> the wait. Google killer, okay, and
2: I, I, I am all and ears. I'd love to
1: see what you think yeah. because I genuinely think Google has a real problem.
2: Well, it's about time. You know, it's about time. We all know that there is a life cycle in all of these companies. A uh, kind of mercy to the to the clock, right? So, and I think the clock for Google is probably at, should we say nine o'clock? I don't think quite into chapter eleven, but there is time where they're going to have to start to yeah. realize that they have been they've been riding on that crest for a very long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you what the Google killer is now, but no. The, the, the no, <laughs> no, keep I, listening. I buy shares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you won't when you uh, find out. Uh, no, it, okay. it, it, you know, but but the other thing that's challenging Google right now in Europe certainly is Chapter 11 and Chapter 13. Oh, yeah. These are the tax links and yes. the content laws, yeah. you know, content copyright laws, yeah. and I think um, Europe is is gung ho going ahead with this yeah. against. Everyone else who's saying this is the wrong way to go. Yeah. So German newspapers, yeah. Spanish newspapers are yeah. saying if you take snippets for Google News, you've got to pay us. If you oh, if you have,
2: it's never going to work. Well, it
1: well, well they try it in been Spain going for
2: years. I, mean, I know, even when I was there, but I still think oh this is just such a stupid way around it. I really do. I think they have to. Publishers need to find a way of working better with Google. But if Google are if Google are finding them an audience, then why don't they? I mean, well, it's Murdoch me, behind be a lot of Capitalising, yeah, they should be capitalising against it. That's kind of like saying, "I'm going to remove all of my links from Google because." Uh, you know, I don't want any Google traffic. I mean, that's just it's crazy. Well, it's this is a... what
1: happened in Spain, though. Spain put this in place about three or four years ago. Yeah. The newspapers saw their traffic drop through yeah, the vomit. floor and then come back and say, oh, Senor so Google, please bring it. The Germans are trying to do the same yeah. now and, and they will bring it in. And I think Google had a brilliant demo page where they showed the Liverpool Echo without any Google links left on it. There was nothing
2: on it. There was nothing on it. No, no it was just so empty. Stupid. Um stupid.
1: So I think, you know... I the, think
2: there's usually got to be a little bit more... You know, look, it is what it is. Learn to work with it.
1: Well, the problem I've got... The, the newspaper industry is a dying industry. Yeah. Um, and... Oh, certainly press and paper, right? Yeah. And we know that. And you started off in ads sales anyway, right? Yeah. and, and as you said, Google replaced that. It did. You know, the paper advertising, you know, the classified. The classified, the yeah. lineage
2: ads. Well,
1: that was where their money was. Yeah. That money's gone. Yeah. They can't find a new money revenue stream. So, learn, so they're going after the they're going after Google to get money yeah. because hey, you've got a lot of money, so we're going to legislate yeah, you. And
2: I, you know, I think we, we spoke about this before and we don't want to sort of jump the gun on, on your question but content um, so content for me that well uh, let's
1: let's price it okay. so you went to BuzzFeed yeah and we were talking earlier about the fact that BuzzFeed is well I was
2: is, Bebo as well so well like, yeah like, I you know, uh, like, don't forget who, Bebo we'll
1: come back to Bebo yeah. and AOL because yeah, yeah, yeah. um, but, but you know just because it's contextual yeah, to what yeah. we're talking about you know you said you know you, you became what was it European GM yeah for for Buzzfeed, right, yeah. so you've got you've got uh, lolcats on one end and and <laughs> whatever, and yeah. then at the other end you've got serious news breaking yes. agency. Yes, but but you know, and obviously we know that they've recently let go of a lot of good journalists, and that model it doesn't seem to be holding for no. them. Um, maybe they should have changed the name. But but what I was talking to you earlier, and which is relevant to what we're talking about now, is can uh, online newspapers. Mm. the offline and online ones, BuzzFeed and local papers, yeah. transition to a world of micropayments. Oh, how can they make money to replace yeah. the classifieds? Because Google owns the ad,
0: yeah.
1: so they're not going to get that money yeah. unless they legislate to get that yeah, money. Yeah. So how can the online newspaper world make money?
2: It's, uh, I think looking at the demise of, Google, sorry, of, Google, of BuzzFeed News... Um, that for me just just screams out how challenged, as you said, that sector is. And without disruption, without a without, I think a new strategy behind it, then they're destined for failure. So my time at Buzzfeed, I I saw not only church and state, which was which is obviously what I experienced at News, <laughs> at News International and at AOL. Yeah. So, you know, content versus ads. And there was always that kind of... There should be a healthy tension between the two. But uh, when I walked into AOL and BuzzFeed as 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 the European boss, and in my first days of those businesses, I was shocked at the amount of content creators, feature writers, news journalists, you know, sports editors. I was like, my God, this is like walking into... Into the, you know TNL or or NGN at News International, yeah. like there is no change here. And then you've got these poor like ad sales executives that are just getting like beaten to the ground with targets to pay for the for the for the journalists. But then when you look at uh, readership numbers, circulation numbers in newspaper or or monthly uniques and digital, they weren't they didn't really justify the cost. So I think what you know what what we have tried to do is place the same rules in, in, in traditional media in new media and it just hasn't worked. If I look at, if I look at businesses that have done a reasonably good job, the Huffington Post, we we discussed this earlier. Yeah, because you were at AOL. I was at, I was at AOL and I launched um, the UK version of The Huffington Post of working for Ariana, which was very interesting. You can't say Ariana. It's Ariana, <laughs> Ariana Darling. Ariana Darling. Yes, it has to be Darling at the <laughs> darling, end. You must go to sleep. <coughs> you must sleep with her strange, <laughs> yeah, sleep Sorry, theory. Sorry, you didn't know. <laughs> uh, which she didn't ever practice herself, by the way. Right. Um, so, so The Huffington Post... I think did a good job of transforming content strategies. Her belief was that she would not pay for content, um, irrespective of whether it was written by Clint Eastwood or Tom Hanks or a little blogger in Essex. She felt a bit bit like a kind of, a I suppose, a kind of Google theory that the user would be the voter, the user would be the reader, and the user doesn't really give a shit whether it's been written by an A-lister, a journalist or a blogger, as long as it's relevant and really good content, then they want to read it. But she felt that she that content should be free. Um, not paid for by the publisher and not paid for by the user. So, look, it was pretty controversial at the time. And I remember when we launched The Having to Post UK, uh, there was I mean, a lot of the press around it was is this going to destroy Journalism, as we know it, is this going to completely cause the collapse of news journalists? It didn't, of course, it hasn't, but it is definitely. I think it's raised questions around new business models. Um, so, and look, if we're, I think, if we're building, building content, build your content for your audiences. So, I think of our our generation, um, say, like thirty five plus, Sam we would be happy i would be happy to pay a small amount for the content that i would want to read well, and see
1: medium for example now is charging so yeah. and it's got high quality content but it's an aggregated content platform and it's
2: small you know why it's small you're, you're looking at niche audiences so could could uh, could you build a mainstream audience i doubt it well
1: i think actually after jeff bezos Posted to Medium as his first mm. port of call. He didn't go to, you know, Opera. He yeah. didn't go to CNN. Yeah. He posted on Medium, go. and Medium suddenly was to to the mainstream American audience <coughs> unknown.
0: Yeah, they and all had to go to
1: Medium to find the story. To find it. So I think you know.
2: So there are there are, but then if I look at our kids, my 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 kids don't really care. They can get content. From anywhere and everywhere, they have their own YouTube, YouTubers and sources of trusted content that they consume on a daily basis, and they would never expect to pay for it. So I do think that perhaps we are a little yeah, bit Yeah, hang guy. on a minute.
1: They pay for it. Netflix, we pay, we pay for it. it. <laughs> My daughters without Netflix would absolutely go spare.
2: That's a very good point. Yes, you
1: know they may and not spotify pay for, for it that matter. yeah they yeah. don't pay for it uh, we pay for that it
2: monthly subscription that yeah family subscription spotify
1: the internet yeah, broadband yeah, connection yeah, yeah, yeah. their 4g connection to their phone yeah. 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 yeah you take all that money out it's make...
0: free it's free daddy yes
1: exactly <laughs> i love you daddies why is my 4g not working
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a utility yeah it's easy but, I... but i do think look i think um look i think content uh content is expensive and I, and I think there is a kind of a, there is a mass market approach to content that BuzzFeed had, especially with video, that was basically they became a sausage factory for short video, and in in the the Hollywood the Hollywood studio they would have, hundreds of kids that weren't paid a lot They would sit in dark rooms and just create video content, uh, and you know chip wrapper, yeah, like hundreds of pieces of content on a, on a weekly basis. Behind that they had a huge amount of data and they knew what worked and what didn't and they would just throw things up against the wall see what sticks and then they would dial it up or dial it down. Yeah. Tasty, right, was a classic example of that. So Tasty Tasty blew up the internet literally. Miss me,
1: but go on tell me about Tasty it.
2: Tasty videos were like kind of, you know, this, you know, the Swedish Chef, oh yeah, sweet, like, hoody goody, hoody
1: goody. Yep. So
2: imagine that, but for food video. So Tasty was absolutely genius. Just two hands on a on a counterboard, uh, creating recipes in under a minute. And those recipes were honestly some of them are genius, but but no uh, no spoken word, just, just slim music in the background, which meant that it was really easy to internationalise. Right. Very easy to get product placements. You had like Coleman's Mustard or Nestle, Nestle all over, Diageo. So yeah, like nice placements. Nice placements, just use, use of their ingredients. But they used Facebook as their distribution model. And I think the their first 5, 10 videos were getting tens of millions of views overnight we're talking like 50 60 100 million views wow okay and the videos cost them next to nothing to create and really that just showed you really do you need a budget of of tens of thousands if not more to create these kind of like highly polished but but for every
1: one of those there must have been 20 that didn't stick
2: but, but but because their cost their, their, their cost per creation was so low, it didn't really matter.
1: Yeah, I guess. Just chuck anything against Just chuck
2: anything. Them. If you have a journalist that's on 50 grand a year, they write a crappy article. And it, how many articles do they write a week? Probably, I don't know, three, four, maybe five. If one of them is a success, then they, they still haven't paid for themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if they can pay for themselves anymore.
2: So this is a really sad... It's the sad economics that's now becoming, I think... It's becoming a realisation for publishers, big publishers. Yeah,
1: because, I mean, at the moment, the UK government's trying to put a tax on Facebook to say you've got to pay for local newspaper journalism. Yeah. You know, sh- again, which is another way of journalism. saying you've got all the money, we mean some of your money to pay for a failing yeah, I industry.
2: Mean, I have, like, like... I can be a complete hypocrite here. That hypocrite, because I was... Partly responsible for the tax setup of Google in the early days, which you know, from a career perspective, I got a lot of brandy points. Now, on reflection, I kind of think actually maybe that will come back and haunt me. I feel passionately that look, they should just be taxed. They should be taxed as a business. The fact that they are, they tax, they are taxed such a small percentage of their of their real wealth
1: yeah okay is
2: not fair i disagree
1: with you which is interesting because i expected you to be the other way so that's so the french government's trying to put a three percent tax currently on google facebook amazon you know anything over i think 100 million you know in profit um fine i get that to a degree but actually it's not the fault of those companies. The oh fa- no, it's
2: completely the fault of the the governments in the first place. Exactly the tax said, oh, system. Oh, absolutely. So, so absolutely. if they fix the
1: tax system oh, instead of trying to they plug the hole, no.
2: they can't retrospectively. I mean, this is it's it's been set up. It's such a it's a shit show from day one. We set, Google set up in Dublin. We were courted by the Swiss, by Luxembourg. And the Irish did the best job
1: because they gave them the best tax rate. Yeah, I mean, Apple, <laughs> Apple were due to pay the Irish government a billion in tax, and the Irish went, so, "No, don't," because wrong. you know we, we don't just want it. You to stay here. Exactly. <laughs> and, and post B word again Brexit, yeah. I expect a lot of other companies we'll will move out yeah. of the UK, yeah, and go back or conversely, that the UK government will drop tax yeah. to the Irish level yeah. because they're not in the EU anymore, yeah. and in inwardly attract.
4: I do
2: think. Look, I just believe that the, the taxation of these big companies should be fair, right?
1: And it should. It should but, be... but, but, but it's not their fault. The, the, it's the laziness of, court, of the politicians, of the politicians yeah. and governments to allow yeah. an arbitrage market to yeah. exist. You know, the EU could have tax harmonisation, but the Irish won't vote it.
2: Mm. I think you're actually you're, you're touching on something. I think that's really interesting. I was at a conference. It was a stream conference, WPP stream conference, and we were talking about the big three, but how politicians or how government, not just UK, but US, around the world, could be more responsible to to us in forcing these companies to make better decisions. So an example, Amazon are looking at uh, building or opening their new HQ in the US. yeah. Um, and of course, the kind of default, the, the default knee-jerk reaction is to go to New York. There's no space in New York, and it's New York's like London. It's overpopulated. It's overcrowded. It's expensive. Why? Why doesn't Trump encourage Amazon to go to Detroit, or you know, to to a city in? Uh, Mid America, that is
1: for the same reason that Google <laughs> UK would not have moved to Leeds yeah. or to Newcastle.
2: But if they were given incentives to do so,
1: but they were given incentives by New York to move to yeah, New York. Yeah. So see, federal versus state.
2: Yeah. So there you go. So the system is is a basket case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it really is. Yeah. So all we're doing is we're feeding more wealth into into areas that actually don't need it, don't need
1: it. I, I agree with you. And, the, and so my my view is that the taxation system is wrong and I don't think the company should be... I mean, when when you start it should a comp- be fair.
2: They should be penalised. They shouldn't be penalised. It should be fair.
1: Yeah, yeah, they should pay their fair share. Exactly. I get you. Yeah. But if the fair share within the legal confine is that they are doing and paying their fair share in the jurisdiction that they have... Yeah good on you yeah. that's smarts right i didn't i didn't remember my mba course saying that when you start a company that there's a glass ceiling <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: you can only go so big and then we stop you no i, know. I didn't that, know that that existed crazy. but governments act as if you get too big we have to break yeah, you up yeah, right yeah. but there shouldn't be that There shouldn't
2: be that but i also think that governments should be encouraging businesses to 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 act better for the community to behave better for
1: absolutely i think capitalism is broken yes i think um pre-milton friedman in the 70s capitalism was designed with a social good so think of Cadbury's, think of john lewis think of um bourneville right companies where the workers were housed i mean around here where we live you know uh, John Lewis own lots of land like golf clubs and how country houses and their staff go to them right but that wasn't bought now it was yeah. bought ages ago and now what we have is shareholder value is the primary driver yeah. and so what we're seeing is shareholders determining that I want my biggest return
0: yeah. and
1: people within companies are no longer seen as the value or the right. asset. Yeah.
0: yeah, I completely agree. So
1: what was once on the credit side of the equation, mm. people, yeah. is the debit side. So now we're seeing automation, kick the people out, lower the wages, the gig economy. We're just driving people out of business because it's a cost. Yeah. And we're automating everything we can because that enforces the shareholder value yeah, of okay. profit maximisation. And say so capitalism two whatever that Doesn't
2: means.
1: Work. Yeah.
2: No. Well, well two Well,
0: it, it
1: could work. Two should have a different set of values. Yeah. yeah. You know, instead of making super profits for shareholders, why not say you can, you're only allowed to make ten percent profit. Yeah. Cap it, and say everything else above ten percent will either tax or you reinvest.
0: Yes.
2: And that's pretty. That's pretty simple, right? Yeah. But it's yeah. As you said, I mean, I think again, I think the the decision makers, especially in well, in politics, but around business and politics, have no real world experience. Have no experience running businesses like we have done. Absolutely, running global businesses like we have done. They are civil servants that only do right from a traditional point of view, and that you know. And I don't know how. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to break the norm. But it needs new rules need to be written. for sure. Yeah,
1: and I think. Um uh, Alicia Cortez, AOC in America is, is one of the hopes that we've got young people coming into politics who get it, yeah. who can break that mould. Yeah. You know, the old white men of Trumpism yeah. hopefully will go because Well
2: at least Trump's <clears throat> I mean the what if there's if there's one good quality about him is at least he's a businessman.
1: Allegedly. Yeah, if you look All at the number Red of Star. bankruptcies he's had, yeah. you might not yeah. you know might not say that. But <laughs> but okay, so Elizabeth Warren, who is the democratic front runner for uh, 2020 in America, has come out publicly and said that if she gets elected, she wants to break up Google, Amazon, Facebook, mm-hmm. et al. Scott Galloway, a famous uh, yeah. commentator, yeah. love him. Yeah. But in his book, the, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, basically, yes. yeah. um, he says that they need to be broken up. Now, yep. I, I, part of me goes, when I was in Microsoft, I remember, because when I left to go to Netscape, the browser wars, right? Yeah. Um, there was a world in which we know now mm. that Microsoft was paying corporates to not employ, take on, Google, uh, sorry, <coughs> Netscape. Yeah, they were practicing poor monopolistic things. Yeah, um, but with and, and we talked about Google. There is no competitor mm. apart from the one I keep telling you about yeah. in a minute. Um, but but if you break them up, how do you break them up? I mean, mm. do you mean me, do you say YouTube has to be a separate company? Uh. Do you, I mean How'd you do this?
2: I don't think I think <clears throat> that's a completely flawed. Uh, I think it's a flawed, if you want to call it policy or a belief. It's never going to happen. I think uh, look, for, I can only speak from my time at Google, and I, one thing, they're not uh, you know, as I said, I think they shot themselves in the foot. It was an albatross around their neck. Did this, this do no evil statement. But still, I think how they handled data and privacy. Um really sensitive issues like child pornography um, terrorism from a Google point of view, perhaps not from YouTube, but from a Google point of view, we had experts in place uh, that were dealing with government in in shifting policy that were helping safeguard better safeguard families and children so you know look even though they couldn 't prevent it as a As a business, they took those things very seriously. Now, I have been told (laughs) that Snapchat definitely don't have that approach. I don't think Twitter have that approach either. I know for a fact that Facebook don't. So if we just have to look at the reactive nature of Facebook in, um, again, child safety, knife crime, um, children's mental health issues... They do not have the right communication and the policies in place, and I don't think, as a business, they are investing enough in looking at ways that they can help better safeguard their audiences to the same extent that Google did. Um, so, if we were looking at breaking them up, I would, I would say that's w- will that affect us? Affect us? I don't think so. It might be easier for government to manage them. Uh, I think that these big businesses have a direct link to our children and our children's way of communicating with each other, and then therefore their safety and mental health. I think we should enforce the, the, a, a sense of responsibility with the big three, for sure. Um, and I think to some degree, they, there needs to be some legislation in how our data is used for the benefit of themselves and for the for the benefit of us i personally don't care if my data is is used and copied and retained by facebook as long as one i'm safe and two it's used to my benefit because we all know we you're you're a tech you're a tech guy i'm a tech guy without data it's pretty much and without an understanding of data i think you know all these uh, politicians that are you know they just lack a fundamental understanding of data but it's more like look who is who is ensuring that these that these businesses are doing the right thing and that they are they are safeguarding our personal information and and the and the safety of our kids i don't think they're doing a great job so no
1: and and you know, you you mentioned it tangentially a, a little while ago, Cheryl Sandberg, yeah, and you just dropped it in as Cheryl. You know, your mate Shes yeah, Shesha Um, You know, obviously she left Google to Facebook. She was meant to be the grown up that went into Facebook. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's the joke. You know, Facebook when they do something wrong, it's the mere culpa. We're sorry. We'll do better. It's so but reactive. they never do. They're
2: so reactive, and they don't. I don't. Uh, And and that really angers me.
1: But I think Facebook's lost it now. I don't think they can come back. I think Facebook itself may well be in the beginning of the end. I don't know what the end looks like. I don't
2: think they care.
1: (laughs) Well, they make so much money. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Why should should they care?
1: Well, right now they don't. But I think there's a point at which I think this week they announced, you know, the 15% drop off in the US usage on Facebook. I mean, Europe's dropped off, so they're beginning to see a lot of uh, usage. Uh, I know, just tangentially, looking yeah. at my own friends.
2: Correction. You know,
1: a lot of my friends aren't using Facebook anymore. No, I don't. And sadly, we are on WhatsApp or Instagram, but but that's another story. You know, and but
2: there you go. You see, so that's what that's why I kind of that's why I don't think they particularly care they'll just make they'll no but make if they were made reposition. to break
1: up whatsapp and instagram um, and instagram i understand
2: that there wouldn't be that would be uh, in smaller chunks those businesses will be a lot easier to to manage but uh what is she trying to achieve by doing that that's you know that's that's more my question what are we what are we trying to do are we trying to police them or are we trying to uh, tax them? Are we trying to ensure that they are uh, that they handle our data better? I don't see what the what the kind of fundamental reason is behind doing this.
1: Well, I think I think it's um, governments thinking that they can control.
2: They can tr- control them better if, yeah. is, if they're smaller. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and, and they're worried. I think we're at the point where, you know, is, is Facebook bigger than a nation state?
2: Oh <laughs> It is.
1: Hey, is Google bigger yeah. than a nation state? Is Certainly in revenue in return, yeah. they are. Yeah. And well, influence, is, yeah. you know, and so yeah. I think that's their fear. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to play yeah. another track. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about privacy a bit more. Okay. Okay. Um, I also want to touch on AI and Google's algorithm. Should that black box be opened up? (laughs) Okay. Um, My God, I'm
2: starting to squirm in my seat.
1: And uh, we'll talk about the Google killer. Okay. Um, What track would you like next?
2: Okay, so I am going to ask you to put on Broken Bells, The High Road. Uh, I first saw this band play in Austin, Texas, in a car park um, at South by Southwest.
1: South by Southwest. that's home this week (laughs) anyway here they are Broken Bells a band I've never heard of but I will be after this
0: is it's on the about-
1: There we go. A little bit of what was that again? Broken
2: Bells. Broken Bells. Philistine.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm going
2: to send you the album. Okay. Make sure you listen to it. I'll try. Transformational. It's transformational.
1: Do I need drugs?
2: (laughs) It always helps, I find. (laughs) That's probably what South by Southwest was like. Yeah. No, exactly. No, it was just a horrible warm beer, actually. So, um, yeah. Oh, okay. No, I can do warm beer. no assistance.
1: um so look we've we've had a wonderful ramble through the world that we both grew up in but <laughs> yours was at a different level to mine but <laughs> um but no but it, it's been amazing the journey the you know from the early days of dial up through to where we are yeah. mobile we didn't even really touch on how mobile changed the google world and everything else but i want to touch on a couple of other things that two things in particular the first one is Google's algorithm is famously the black box, you know, yes. it, it's the crown jewels. Um, I, in many ways, I think Facebook's algorithm as well, Twitter's, oh, yes. you know, algorithms are, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, the challenge I've got is twofold. One is um, the algorithm basically is the competitive advantage, but mm-hmm. governments are now trying to say they need to know what's in the algorithm. Because of, I think, Cambridge Analytica and things like yes. that, you know, is the algorithm uh causing us to change behaviors is it able to change our not just in ways that we didn't want to go as consumers let's say yeah but equally um our algorithms because of the black box nature and the bro culture you know Mm. you talked about diversity in the uk at google but you know we we know that google us there was that famous (laughs) guy who said women can't be engineers um you know If you have got five white young men designing an algorithm, Mm. I mean, it's probably 500, but take that as an example. Yeah. You know, are they going to write it? And certainly that guy, are they going to put in sexism into the algorithm, racism into the algorithm? All the isms that Mm -hmm. we hate, they can write them in because it's humans making the algorithm. The algorithm isn't making itself. Yeah. So should, should the algorithm be made public domain in terms of who could look at it? Can we over... Or, or, or is that never to be? Because it's such a comp- competitive advantage.
2: Oh my god! So this is a big wow. I mean, what a big question.
1: Sorry, thanks.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, and it's a difficult one for me to answer because I'm—I still have a loyalty to the um, PageRank algorithm because I think it was—it's uh, probably one of the of the most transformational pieces of code that's ever been written. I mean, end off. Yeah. Um, and I think Larry and Sergey should be applauded for. For that alone, um, and what I know of and love about the PageRank algorithm is that it is based on good principles, and it's based on as I keep on using this word democratization. But you know, before when you were at Microsoft, MSN, when I was at Alta Vista, the algorithms, or not even the algorithms, the co- the code because it was so basic, yeah. that we used for search would just be based on popularity. So if I typed in "Bush," I might get Kate Bush, I might get the band Bush, I might get Holly Bush. Um, the the code would not know how to differentiate between semantic and between words, and and in some cases popularity was so skewed around just bots, right? Yeah. Um, that really, it was almost impossible to find what I was looking for on the internet on the web and therefore in the world you know and that would be that was um, that that was how things used to be back then do you remember yeah I mean you and I remember Google gave us access to the world's information
1: yeah it became it actually became the context engine yeah. you know I want to find the Chinese restaurant yeah. well which one the one nearest me obviously and
2: I think exactly and so Google's PageRank algorithm was not based on popularity and it wasn't based on what it thought uh, the World Wide Web consisted of. It was based on, on uh, the, the global population, if you like, voting for what it thinks is relevant. Yeah, And it also, and I was talking about this the other day, interestingly, it kind of encourages bad behaviour because if sites, if websites or webmasters broke the rules... Then you would be blackmarked.
1: Yeah, I mean, Matt Cutts was famously yeah. in charge of it yeah. all, yeah. and he now works for the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, but Matt, uh, I've heard on, on enough shows, would say things like, "You know, if you stuffed the, your website with keywords, they changed yeah. it. So the algorithm was constantly changing it. I mean, they had names like Penguin and whatever, yeah. and Cogues. they changed
2: it every six months, and it would be uh, there would there would be the Google algorithm change, and people would start literally losing sleep at night.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jason. Calacanis famously tried to sue Google because it broke his whole business.
2: Yeah, well, well, because he broke the rules. Yeah, and, it, you know, that, so that was pretty much like, so going back to your earlier question, as long as you have an algorithm which I think is based on good principles and encourages good behavior and encourages accurate, and relevant information, then they shouldn't be made public. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if it's, if, it, if, you know, Google's algorithm was always, I think, based on truth and relevancy rather than, rather than, Commercial gain. Um now AdWords on the other hand perhaps was more towards commercial gain, but it still provided and I think it provided access for smaller businesses to compete against the when we were when we were at MSN and, and Altavista yeah. it was all about Oh God! It was Amazon just took over everything. eBay took over everything, you know. And if you saw one eBay, you saw eBay bought every single bloody keyword, and we just shut off to it, you know. We just so that wasn't good for eBay, and it wasn't it wasn't good. Um, it wasn't good for the kind of the users, the end users, you know, either. So, I I I think it's paranoia that we should insist that algorithms become public.
1: Okay, I mean, I I only mention it because, you know, we have GDPR, we have the Chapter 11, Chapter 13, Elizabeth Warren. It just feels like governments are coming uh, after them.
2: Yeah, but it's just all the wrong stuff.
1: Yeah, I just think they're an easy target. I mean, as I said, I disagree that the tax is wrong. You know, yeah, okay, Amazon didn't pay... Um, any federal tax. Mm. Uh, in fact, they got a 128 million rebate. But that's because the tax system's it's wrong.
2: wrong. Look, I, you know, as a, as a parent, if I if I would want any kind of policing, it would be over the safety of my kids. Yeah. So I would want Jesus. I would want Facebook and YouTube to take more responsibility for sensitive content. I
1: agree that's with that because just... my daughter got heavily bullied on Snapchat, and there was yeah, nothing we could same, do. The we same. Couldn't... I think
2: all of our all of our kids. Who Snapchat's a I think it's a it's a it takes a pitiful approach. Well, I think it's a cesspit. Yeah, I think it's really an utter cesspit a, no, I of f- I, I, reality. I, will, I would agree with you. Facebook, you know, as we said, have a reactive approach, um, and also, I mean, YouTube have done too little, too late.
1: Yeah, um, but but we, <laughs> but you know, so I mean, I, I'm with you on the legislation over those things, and mm-hmm. I think now that. Again, one of the things that Facebook keeps saying it doesn't want to be known as is a media company because then it has, in the German courts, for example, then it has liability. More yeah, so they're but trying.
2: Look, t- for God's sake, they're a media company. I mean, when they, when they launched, when they created, um, when they created Facebook Live, um, they became a media company. That's it. Yeah. Um, so so yeah i mean i i just think they're w- they're wiggling out of they're wiggling out of excuses and I, don't, I just don't think they're doing they're doing enough if we were to police technology i would want it for the for the benefit of our kids
1: yeah I agree with that so okay let's Last topic.
2: Okay.
1: It's been a long one, but I've loved every minute of this. <laughs>
2: You're going to drop the bomb.
1: No, well, I don't think Come it's a bomb. Come on, I don't want to
2: know who okay. it is.
1: So I, I had this epiphany moment when I had my, um, and I'm sure I wasn't the first, so I'm not that smart. Um, <laughs> the, the, when I got my Alexa, yeah. um, uh, I remember just asking it to play music and yeah. it instantly played it. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my God, this is an iPhone moment. You know, when I first yeah. got my iPhone and I browsed the web, yeah. And it was there. Yeah. I just went, this is the future. When I got my uh, Alexa, and I've got six in the house now. Um,
2: is the sound quality good?
1: Yeah, it's good enough. Right. I mean, I mean, mine's hooked up to all my big speakers anyway. So if I want real good sound quality, I do. Right, I
0: think
4: but, I might have to get one. Right, they
1: are good. 20 quid, come on. Oh, yeah. um, and, and actually, the Google one, if you if you stayed loyal to your Google home, friends, um, <laughs> is actually a better quality speaker than the Amazon oh, one. I i get
2: the Google one. Then.
1: Yeah. So what, what, what I realized, though, was when I first asked Amazon, because uh, I can't say Madame A, because mm. it'll set everyone's off, um, is, um, you know, find me the Chinese, local Chinese restaurant, yeah. right? What came back was one single definitive answer. Mm. On Google, had I done a page search, there was a page of search yeah. results the three at the top, the yeah. five down the column. How do you fit in those ads yeah. into a voice search return? Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you know, if you and I had uh, a voice search, mm. research, <laughs> search result one, yes. research, you'd be yes. like, oh, forget yes. it. I'm never uh, going to use this again. Yeah, right? yeah. So suddenly I was like, where did that one? Defin- Why was that the definitive answer? Right?
2: On Google, on uh, on Alexa, but it's the
1: same on Google. Yeah. So if you yeah. ask the Google Home Hub, you know what is X? Mm. It's it's the answer is Y, not yeah. Y plus Z plus you know whatever.
2: Have you seen Have you seen Google Assistant? Yes, yeah, yeah. I, that's just, I love it. I think it's it's so it, groundbreaking. It's it is absolutely amazing.
1: But. But because of voice, not because of the technology. No, absolutely. I mean Google Voice Assistant recently came out with an amazing you can now it is now, you Booking, know, the Booking communicator. The AirPods, yeah. You know, it's it, w- real world translating yeah. and all and all the stuff that you know, they showed about that great demo where they showed, you know
2: Booking the hairpin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I you mean know, yeah. Duplo, I think it's called. No, Duplex. Yeah. yeah. Um but but that all of that is amazing and voice i think is i mean you know alexa in the bmw that's coming out uh, you know we've ordered one yeah and i've got an alexa in my car already you know it's just it is great because i've hands-free one voice easy to integrate to you know the interface um my friends next door to us have got a young daughter she's already ordering stuff off amazon through voice yeah she knows how to do it right
2: so I i think google have seen an um an increase in voice related searches i think I think it's. I want to say a 50-fold over the Could last be. twelve. Uh, yeah, I don't have the numbers. I mean, it is. I mean, so it's a, it's a skyrocket. It's like yeah. it's like vertical growth. And believe me, when they see such a, I don't think they've seen it as a change of behavior. It's, it's a behavior that they have wanted to change because voice recognition, voice recognition has been something that the business has been investing in. Facebook have invested in it to some extent. Amazon have really invested in it. So it's been those. Businesses have been driving this growth. I think that if I'm to get, I'm answering your question. I think the commercial commercialisation of it um, is going to be interesting. Yeah. Because whether we're going to see, um, look, I don't care if I hear results that are paid for, as long as they're good.
1: Well, I've got, um, a mo- I have relevant. got the Amazon model that I think they should use. Um,
2: are you going to you're going to you going to share this with us? Yeah, I am because I I'm not going to make... like
1: Well, maybe <laughs> you, you and I should do this. Maybe yeah, I no, shouldn't. No. I just suddenly Don't realized who's in the room air. with me. I've got somebody who might actually be able to monetize this idea. Oh my lord. This part of the Let's podcast will be paid for. it might actually be worth something. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I I create Amazon skills, which are like right. plugins uh, for phones um and and uh, Google has them as well. Mm. Uh they're called Google Actions or something like that. I Can't think of what they're called now. Um Anyway, long story short, um, at the moment, if you uh, on Alexa, let's say, have a skill, and that skill might be the train timetable or it might be um, a news report or something else, right? You can go to your Alexa and add it. Yeah. So then you can uh, suddenly your version of Alexa has that ability, yeah. at that plugin. Um, but the problem with that is you have to preempt mm-hmm. what you don't know. So yeah. I want to book a table. I have to open I have to preload the open table skill. Yeah. Then I can ask Amazon yeah, to use that skill. Yeah. Right, that's awful. Yeah. So if you reverse it and say actually these assistants are super smart and will mm. get smarter. Yeah. Then actually it should take what I say. So I might say I want to book a table. It now knows which what I want to open. do. Exactly. Now, but why does it open, open table and not someone other like uh, just eat or whatever? Yeah. So, this is where I think the model comes in, which is just like AdWords for Google, mm. there are key words, trigger words in the sentence I've just made. I want to book yeah. table, right? So, now what if, if just eat and open table compete for those words? Yeah. Just like they do. Yeah.
2: No, and again, depending on relevancy and response so depending on your action whether you found that voice response relevant and useful then obviously then it's promoted based on based on those parameters not just on how much yeah so
1: so justy didn't pay enough and open table paid for the word table let's say then it would preload that skill for me rather than me have to load the skill So suddenly the skill would be, "Oh yes, oh well, open table bringing you whatever, yes. right, so yeah. I go, okay, I'm fine, you've paid to be my provider mm-hmm. of the information, but let's say it was a crap experience. I might then block open table, and which means that whether they paid more or less, I just found the experience bad, yeah. and so the number two gets served, yeah, but yeah. I think yeah. that's the only way that you can monetize voice I agree and but right now, it doesn't work that way. It no. works on the dumb way of I have to pre-install the plug based on pre-empting but maybe
2: my... maybe voice doesn't need to be monetized. I think we'll wait and see whether we see if whether the, um, you know, the experience has to be helpful and seamless and feel like it's not a radio ad. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think we. no one would want to go, not that radio is... I mean, I can't... <laughs> I know, I'm sitting in a radio studio, thinking, "What am I saying?" But do you know what I mean? You know, yes. as long as, I wouldn't mind hearing radio ads that were targeted to me and targeted to what I like and where I am, what I need, and then it becomes a service. So I think we just have to be. But I, I, I can completely trust in Google and Amazon that they they they're going to know how to ensure that whatever it is, it doesn't spoil the experience. If it spoils the experience, we stop using it and then the whole thing falls flat.
1: Yeah, I mean, if the first thing was five before they gave me the answer here's a here's an advert from yeah. your local sponsor yeah. you know
2: sponsored, sponsored I'd contact. be like thanks a lot yeah bye in
1: the bin see yeah. you later and for 20 quid it would be in the bin yeah. because I'd be like forget it
2: who would need it exactly yeah
1: mm. but the the other side of that is um, Google's great for the knowledge graph it's great for answering you know how far's the moon yeah. and, and whatever yeah you know how do we do dinner parties before Google I oh, really no. don't know oh, no. now, I'll tell you in the morning the answer no yeah, you, yeah. you know you don't know yeah. the answer you go and Google it instantly yeah, yeah. but I think Amazon has the advantage on the shopping graph mm, right
2: exactly. and i think but again you know <clears> we've got to be really careful that that doesn't become just a monopoly for, for amazon just to
1: it is a monopoly
2: well you know i mean then my whole democratization of the web is 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 then going to fall flat on but do on you the do
1: you have prime
2: we do have prime but we also but we also use all the other services as well as in as in tv prime
1: yeah but I mean for home delivery do you order off Amazon for your yeah. stuff moan yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's convenient and
2: i <coughs> every time I get a brown parcel through the door i, I feel really guilty really yeah' because I get five, and they're not clever enough to put everything in one box you know the packaging
4: Oh, just drives yeah
1: me the community. packaging drives you mental and yeah. and, it and also, <coughs>
2: then around them i know that i've you know from a from a footprint perspective from my kind of eco footprint i've I, my carbon footprint is probably just Horrendous,
1: but equally, you could have had five trips to the shop in well, a car. I know,
2: but I never would have done that because I'm too lazy. <laughs> yes, why so am I. I'm using Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: but that's the thing; we are we are fundamentally lazy um, about it. Yeah, and um, no, so that's why I think I think that that the voice could really chat. I know Google's big in voice, so it's not going to kill Google, but voice search.
2: Um, I think you're right. I think Sam, is, is a really. Um, it's going to be really interesting it's gonna be really exciting to see how this develops um and i you know i think there'll probably be some pretty bad experiences before we get to it before we get to a nice elegant seamless
1: experience that we're they were all asking for anyway look kate i'm gonna wrap it there because it's been amazing oh
4: thank you i've
1: enjoyed this so much. I have I know, to tell we're you. like
2: a couple of old women, aren't we? We are. If we should do this over a bottle of wine next time, it'd be more interesting. Well,
1: <laughs> the end result might be more <laughs> yeah, interesting, exactly. Um, Kate, it's been a pleasure. Thank You're you so, so much.
2: You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh,
1: it's a pleasure. Um, if you want to uh find us, we'll be having this podcast, it'll be on iTunes under Play It Again, Sam, and obviously. Kate. um, If you have any questions, leave them on Facebook comments. I'm sure she might look at them. I'm not sure she will. Um, Anyway, thank you very much for listening to us. Uh, We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye.
0: Sam, that show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week, same time, same place.